Yeah, you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right, hit it. sport you race four wheelers it'd be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> a ten. welcome back everyone hey what's up everyone welcome back messed up my intro yeah you did go ahead no you it. messed up my intro i was waiting for you <laughs> welcome back everyone I'm your co-host, Colton Yankovic. And I'm your host, the the intro messer-upper, John Yankovic. This is episode 25. We've been on point with that ever since we started actually writing it down before the show and we weren't in mm-hmm. like a rush to figure out what episode it was whenever crunch time came. Mm-hmm. We're getting better. We are getting better. We're ha- not half. I almost said half. A quarter of a way to 100. Yes, we are the, uh, I'm not even going to try and make up a word for that. We're quarter of the way there. Quarter of the way there. Uh, I wonder what one episode 100 is going to be like. Do you think we're going to have our shit figured out by then? No. No, I don't think so either. So <clears throat> we got uh, we got a guest tonight. It's not going to be just... Me and 34, 314. Rambling on. <laughs> rambling on about nothing, trying to fill up dead airspace. Train wreck. So we got, uh, we're going to have Devin Masters joining us today. Uh, he, I've been talking to him and he agreed to come on and add some professionalism to the podcast. Uh, so um, we'll be calling him in a second. Uh, just a few things. So. We did the t-shirt, mm-hmm. and we did not get enough people to donate for the fundraiser for the t-shirt. So uh, if you bought a t-shirt and you didn't get it, it's because we didn't get enough people to go through with the printing. So what we'll probably do is I will just go on um, Custom Ink again do a t-shirt and then you can order it there's no minimums uh that'll also bring the price down because it's not a fundraiser so we can just do it that way so look for it in the future i'll put it out there and we can go ahead and just you can order them as many as you want whenever you want them and we can go from there so um what do you want to oh we got a new sponsor too we do. We do. And I've been enamored by this product. I don't know what that word means. Dumb it down for the dumb people like me. I have been very excited about this new product ever since I done saw it on the magical configuration that I keep in my pocket called the phone. On the interwebs? Yeah. All right. So Thank ev- you. <laughs> I seen uh, 
I saw seen. I saw Jay Shad post this, and when I saw it, I was like, "Holy hell!" This, I have to have this. I have to have this. Like, this is gonna make Colton's life that much easier. And that's the kind of guy I am. Like, I'm always looking out for everybody else. What can I do to help somebody else out? And since somebody cannot clean filters, I can. At, at a regular interval so that I can do it well. I can't do it what's the word? Often. Often. Enough. Enough. Right. So Consec not consecutively. <laughs> so constantly. Constantly. No, that's yeah. not the right word. Yeah. Keep talking, I'll think of it. So uh I I seen I seen Jay Shad put a post out there with these new Nash filter cleaning. I want to call it the vice, but it, it is a filter cleaning machine and it, it's basically like a, like a subsonic cleaner, like a ultrasonic cleaner for filters. And I was blown away from it by it. And I was like, man, I got to have one of these. So I got to talking with the people from Nash they are now on the Thumb Throttle 314 bandwagon, and they have graciously sponsored us. We got our machine in the mail yesterday. Uh, I was going to play around with it, but I have not got the cleaner yet. So the, you can use several different kind of cleaners in them. Uh, there's a few that they they don't recommend any of them at the present time. They do have one of their cleaners coming out. Um, they just have, and they're not, like a brand spanking new company too. Yeah. So, and they haven't got the, their cleaner out there yet. So you can use several different kinds. I, I bought one and I was a little on the fence about using it. Uh, so either I'm going to order some regular filter cleaner or just wait for theirs to come out. But I'm really stoked to using this and being able, well, I'm not excited about using it. I'm excited about Colton using it and for me to go look for a filter and there's a whole bunch of clean filters there. Is there a shot of that happening? Probably not. I'll yeah. try though. Yeah. So welcome aboard Nash. Uh, we're excited to have you on. We're excited to use the product. We're excited to tell people about it and, and just let them know how good it works. It definitely takes the hassle out of cleaning it. Uh, you don't have your hands smelling like filter cleaner solvent or, or waiting while they, they sit in the filter cleaner. Filter cleaner is a good way to get oil off your hands. Yeah. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. Take the oil off the filter. Shut up. <laughs> but anyways, should we just call Devin? No. I have something I need to talk about. Oh, well, please get it off your chest. I'm mad. <laughs> I'm at, mad. At one of, <laughs> shut up, at one of our sponsors. That's not the, uh, I'm not the best mad. way of going about <laughs> that, but I'm not I'll mad. I'm out. disappointed. Still not a good foot to get off on. I don't know if I should let, go ahead. I, I, so I don't think this, this year, will end badly. This year, we were going to order a jersey. And O'Neill decides to stop making the jersey that I want. Well, they didn't stop making it. They stopped getting 
getting it factory sublimated or something, well, however you say that. And here's, here's the issue with that, and I found out about that. It wasn't that they stopped making the jersey because it was a good seller. That was their 23 line. So they they have a line of colors and whatever it is for each year. So 2023, that was in their color line. Well, this year they did a different color line. And then once they sold out of that, they didn't have any more of them. So they try to keep it uh, fresh. And, and So it's and, not their fault. No, it's not. Okay. Th- I mean, it's, it's, it is, but it isn't. Like, they can't have the same jerseys over and over and over and over again. So they try mm-hmm. to mix it up because, you know, everyone else is doing the same thing. So they don't want to have the same jersey. They don't want to get stale. So, I mean, the one that, the one that we got anyways, it has a lot more white on it than, than I'm willing, than I like. No, because it's the same one, dingus. Okay. It, it is, I got you that one. Like, they just don't, I got that one because it was a leftover, but they don't sublimate that any one anymore. They have a new one, yeah. the, the 24s that they mm-hmm. came out with that they sublimate for. So mm-hmm. you'll get one of those, but I also got you one of the other ones. It just has screen printing on it. Oh, okay. It, yeah. So, so that one's coming. Yes, eventually. Okay. Okay. Like in time for the first race or? Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. So should we give Devin a call? What's this on your notes right here? This one. Uh, Big Buck. Do you want to talk about that? Well, we can have Devin talk about it too. Well, I don't know why you wrote it on that set of notes and not the Devin notes. Well, because I just started writing notes. Don't criticize me on how I write my notes. <laughs> Like, at least I'm writing notes now. And <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> what? You're going to come off on me saying, you don't even write notes. You don't write notes. I know. And thus, you have nothing that you piggyback off my yeah, I do. show ideas. I do. You leech. <laughs> What's a co-host supposed to do? <laughs> a co-host help is... Help the host. Yeah. Oh, but, wait. Yeah. Help the <laughs> <Shut> host. <up. laughs> You're like a tick. <laughs> So as we, uh, I was, uh, we were supposed to start this at seven and I told Devin, Hey man, we're going to start this. We at never seven, get stuff on, but, on time. I mean, it's going to be seven ish. And then we've had ish. Keyword ish. We've had technical difficulties. Uh, we couldn't get the SD card working. We, well, first <laughs> off, we couldn't get the phone working when it plugged into the, our soundboard and so I abandoned that and got it hooked up via Bluetooth and then the SD card wouldn't work. So then there was mm-hmm. another 10 minutes of trying to get the SD card to work. Um, so eventually we did a hard reset. We did. And that seemed to clear everything up. Although we're still going to be with Bluetooth, which creates a delay that I don't like. Um, but I guess we're just going to have to go through it. So we are going to give Devin Masters a call. Feel free to. Well, I thought you called Devin faster. 
<laughs> like the old man you are. Well, if if this show has hold taught on, I need you, my glasses. If this show has taught you anything, and you will listen to anything that you say, obviously I'm not fast. So that's on you for thinking I'm going to be faster than what I am. It's not. It's not what it. Never mind. No, it's, never mind, old man. <laughs> never mind. All right, we're we're calling Devin now, and it's ringing. Whatever. The phone is ringing. Whatever, old man. <laughs> Hello? Devin. Yeah. Hey, what's happening, man? Not a whole lot. How are you guys? Oh, not too bad. Um, I have to apologize because we said we were going to start this at seven-ish. And Ish. it just turned into a complete shit show right off the bat as soon as I hit start. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, I, would, I really like to be more professional, uh, but it just does not seem to work in our favor happens i'm telling you i've been there (laughs) (laughs) so not a big not a big deal so uh what you been up to since the last race i uh just been being a uh, full-time basketball coach at this point Oh, oh, the basketball I was uh, coming in from the garage there. So if you if you heard the doors opening and shutting, that's what. Um, yeah. So uh, my my oldest son plays basketball. He is uh, currently on. We built two teams for him. Um, one league we play up, and because uh, he's in second grade, so we play fourth grade in one league. And then we play second grade at the other league, and uh, that's what what he enjoys to do. So I do my best to support him with that, and I currently coach both. So <laughs> it uh, it's definitely hectic. Yeah, I re- <laughs> I remember uh, coaching wrestling, and it was I mean it was like you didn't have time to do anything because I think whoever makes out like kids sporting events like the schedules. Like that is the only thing in their life that they have going on. And they, they just, they're like, Hey, there's a free minute in the day. Let's do this or let's do that. And you're like, Jesus, man, I got like 10 other things to do, let alone go to a hour practice. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> we do one hour practice for each team during the week. Uh, Sundays we do a two hour thing. Me and, uh, a couple of friends, their dad helps me coach and uh we do a two-hour thing on sundays where we do like skills clinic types type uh things mm-hmm. so like we'll practice dribbling ups, and all that and uh helps the kids get a little bit better but he's currently going to nate smith for uh one-on-one lessons and he does that one day a week then we do practice two days a week and then we have games saturday sunday plus we do the other drill practice on uh sunday evenings so he's got me completely right now but i can understand what you're saying about the schedules for sure yeah now how many kids do you have so i have three boys i have an eight-year-old i have a three-year-old and i have a one-year-old and we have a girl on the way so oh man that'll be uh that'll be it for us though (laughs) that's it we got the girl so 
we're uh, we're done. <laughs> yeah, I only have two, and I ended up getting the girl second, so I was out. I uh, I I called it quits. Well, that lucky for you. That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> so no, the- I uh, I love all my kids. They're uh, they're all different <laughs> in their own way. So my middle one is a wild child. He's uh, he's all over the place. He does anything and everything with no fear. The youngest one, not sure exactly what he's going to do yet, but he's definitely going to be tough because my middle kid keeps him pretty tough. He uh, he beats up on him a little bit, and we we got to watch him because he'll uh, get a little get a little rough sometimes. But uh, then my eight year old, he just kind of he's kind of keeps to himself and does his own things. So. It's uh, funny to see how all three of them can be completely different like that and uh, have their own things to do. So yeah, it is. it's uh, it's cool though. It is crazy. Like I only have two and how just different they are. Like they grow up in the same household. They're exposed to the same things, but yet they're on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to certain things. It's, it's just wild. And like with you, soon to have four like you're gonna see like you're gonna be all over the place like i feel for you oh for sure for <laughs> sure so i uh i said at some point i'm probably gonna have to stop coaching my kids so i can be able to keep up with uh all the stuff that they're going to be doing but uh i you know i'm, I'm hoping the middle kid likes uh racing he's seen spoilers and dirt bikes a lot um, my oldest raced for one year and then that was enough for him. He decided he wanted to play sports instead. So hopefully the middle one likes racing, but, uh, I got, a, I got a few chances to find at least one of them that does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I bought my daughter a four wheeler, a little TRX 90 and she was all about it until she got it home. And then she's like scared to death of it. Then I have Colton who has like no fear of it whatsoever. And What's it going to do? Hurt me? <laughs> Come on. Now. You want, I mean, that's true. <laughs> you you want to answer that one, Devin? <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely can hurt for sure. <laughs> Sometimes you'll, uh, I don't know if you've had it yet or not, but you'll, uh, you'll have some wrecks sometimes where you get back up and you're like, what just happened? And <laughs> then there's other times where you want to get back up and you can't. So there's uh, there's lots of things that can that can happen out there. Um, fear is not a bad thing. I will say that it's okay to be scared of something and still do it anyways. But definitely make sure you respect it. That's that's the biggest thing. So. Yeah, we we've already had one one broken wrist. Um, that was, I mean, as a dad watching that happen because it kind of like it it happened literally right in front of me he uh he he went to climb a high wall and it wasn't that high it was probably only about a four foot but it was a logging road and we built a trail going up the side of the logging road to kind of get out of the mud and he didn't get a good enough run for it and then he whiskey throttled it and when he did no I dumped the clutch. Well, same thing. And you whiskey throttled it. And I just watched the bike come over on him. And when it did, it like 
landed on him and his front bumper, the bike, his bike is upside down. His front bumper is now like locked into the front of my bike and like, I can't get it off him. I'm panicking. He's screaming. I finally get the bike off him. <laughs> he stopped screaming. And first off, like I'm looking for like, is, you know, is his neck broken? Is, you know, what's wrong? Like, that's my first initial thought and he's fine. And he's like, my wrist hurts. And I look at his wrist and it has this weird U shape to it. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And you know, me being the combat medic, I am not at all. I figure <laughs> I've seen this on enough videos. You just pull it and it'll set itself. Well, that didn't work. We had to seek medical help for that. And it turned it out. It turned out turned being it out. <laughs> a broken wrist that sidelined him for half a season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what. Which I did get a year it's, off. Uh, well, I mean, any. I don't like being off the bike at all. So Mm-mm. I don't. Uh, I don't like getting years off. Right. The <laughs> the biggest thing coming from the parent side is when something like that happens. If since I like I'm I'm on the track obviously so like when I'm on the four wheeler I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing I know exactly how to handle it and I know exactly what my limitations are when my kids riding I don't completely trust that he understands exactly what's going on there right right like I try to teach him, <laughs> but to convince myself that he's going to be okay with that is a completely different scenario so. When you see your kid, Rick, it's one thing if it's you because you know you can take it, right? Right. But I don't know about him. He might crumble. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything to help your kid, though. So the worst part for you is just that you can't do anything to help him other than like you took him to get medical attention, right? Yeah. But you can't <laughs> fix his wrist for him. You can't stop him from wrecking. He tried to fix um, it. <laughs> Well, that, that's true. At least he tried. Yeah. I just say for effort. The, the point, <laughs> yeah. The point being is that when he wrecked, you couldn't control what was happening at that point. Whereas if it was you, you could control some of the things that were going on. And it's tough to be able to convince yourself that that's okay. Right. Right. And that that's the biggest thing I noticed. Like even when my oldest was racing is, when I wreck, that's one thing, but when he wrecks, that's a completely different thing because I don't know what I could have done differently to make it easier for him to not have that happen. Yeah. Even though in reality, there's nothing I could do to make that not happen. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a fine line for sure. <laughs> and, and I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. And cause like you said, like if it's me and I know that something's happening in my head. I have a thought process. Like as soon as the shit goes sideways, well, I have a thought process of, okay, I need to do this. This is coming. I need to at least get out of the way here. I need to mitigate this pain somehow. And then when you see it happening to him, like that thought process is still going on, but it's not, it's like you're playing a video game and I suck at video games, but I'm, I'm working the controller and 
it's not working. Like I'm thinking, Doc, roll, go this way, and like he's not. So it's like that helpless feeling, and it's just like I I constantly ask him too, like just to kind of get a gauge on him, like you know, if you're riding in the woods, does it? Like, what is your reactions? Like, do you, like, see things or do you just kind of, like, feel them? Because, like, I remember, and I use this example a lot, like, when I was oh, in my... Fishing, 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 fishing. No, it's not fishing. It's hunting. A, yeah, it's a hunting one. Bingo. <laughs> and when I was probably in my, in my... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it's rough here. When... I was probably in my mid twenties and we would go bird hunting a million years ago <laughs> when the bird, when, whenever a bird would flush, it would like everything would slow down. So like my sense of time kind of like just really slowed down, but I was still moving at full speed. And that's what I keep asking him. I'm like, when you're riding, do you like notice things like happening in real time? Or are you just, I don't know if that's the best, if that's the best way to describe it, and maybe you can answer it better because you've raced for longer and you, you might know kind of what I'm talking about, but like, do you just get in a spot where you don't have to think about things and you just kind of react to them and things are happening, you're reacting quicker than what they're happening, if that makes sense? Yeah, so like, I've been doing the the coaching thing lately, right? So uh, something I try to to teach all of the the people that come to me, and I got kids coming to me, I got adults coming to me, it's different ranges of of riders and things like that. One thing that you you have to do is the more you ride, the better it is because more repetition gets you further and advanced in what you're you're doing, right? Right. So eventually you get to the point and – I guess to, to answer your question, what happens to me when I'm racing is I'm never focused on exactly where I'm riding at. I'm always focused on two or three turns ahead of where I'm at. And my body's just kind of doing what it needs to do without me actually thinking about it. So my body reacts to what the bike is doing, or I can force the bike to do something that I want it to do and still be thinking about what's out in front of me. So same thing goes if like, for instance, you, you start doing doing that type of thing and you start getting behind people and you're riding faster than them, right? You can set up a pass on somebody three turns in advance and already plan on what your exit is in that third turn and your body be doing what it needs to do in those initial turns to set up for what you're, you're looking for, right? Right. So my thing is, is when I'm on the track, my my brain isn't really thinking about what's going on presently. I'm thinking about future moves, whereas my body is just reacting naturally. So repetition is the best thing to help with that, obviously, because the more you do something correctly, the more that your body's just going to remember to do it because muscle memory will kick in. Right. But, uh, yeah, there, there is times though, like if I wreck sometimes, right. Big wreck happens. It is like the slowest <laughs> moving time ever. Yeah. It is. Sometimes you have a, a small crash. It happens real quick. 
you get back up and you're like, oh man, that was crazy. But some of the biggest wrecks I've ever had is the slowest time has moved ever. And it just feels like I can see it coming and I know what's coming <laughs> and I can't do anything about it. And it feels like I'm in slow motion. It's like the Ricky Bobby wreck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> it, it. I know that's a funny reference, right? But like, <laughs> but it's true. Exactly what it feels like. You're like, oh man, this is going to be bad. And it's just coming <laughs> and it's coming and it's coming. And then it finally happens. And you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> and it just, it just knocks all the wind out of your cells. So there is, there is both perspectives of that. So when I'm, when I'm riding and nothing's going on, I'm always looking ahead. My head is already ahead of where I'm at currently, but my body is just naturally reacting to what, what I need to do. So both ways works both ways it, it does happen but it's typically like slowed down when it's the worst possible moment that you can have in a race <laughs> yeah and, and i've noticed too like and not i thank god i haven't had any big wrecks on a bike uh but i've had my share of you know big not not big accidents but things that I didn't just walk away from real easily. There was, you know, a week or two of, of suffering afterwards. And you're exactly right. It's like, you know how bad it's going to be as it starts happening and everything tends to slow down. But I've noticed in the past that like when things slow down, you may not be able to completely get out of it like sometimes i have been able to yeah everything's slow for you but <laughs> but i i've noticed like in those instances when everything slows down like your brain is still working at full speed and you're able to even if it's just moving a split just a little bit it it lessens everything so and that's what i was asking him where i got to on that is like do you notice like when things do that like you're able to i guess operate mentally faster than what's happening and he says he is so i'm i'm good with that i guess <laughs> yeah for sure like I, i've made mistakes before and it could have been catastrophic to my race and being able to get out of it just from making a slight adjustment to where my body was on the four wheeler or something didn't seem like we were, we were going fast or like it, it just, it felt like exactly like you were saying that stuff kind of slowed down, but my body still moved way faster than what my brain was, uh, was thinking that time was going at that point. If that makes sense. No, so, it makes perfect I, I sense. Yeah, I've been able to escape uh, some things without uh, big failures or, or big wrecks or anything like that, and uh, and be okay. But that's just kind of, I know everybody has their thing, right? Everybody's a little bit different. Um, there's times that I, I get into like tunnel vision, right? Mm -hmm. I'll be out there and, and run a race and not even really realize what's going on during the race get to the end of the race and people are asking questions and then you can't answer the question. <laughs> you just well, get in the flow. Well, yeah. What, 
what was you doing when you did this out there? And it's like, I would just to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really remember what I was doing at that point. I was just kind of, I felt like I was riding good. I was in the zone and, and that was what it was. So it's, uh, everybody's got their thing. Everybody's got something that they do differently. Um, some people, you know, times, time feels like it slows down and you can still move fast. Some people might be like, you're crazy. That doesn't happen. So it's uh it all depends just on the who the person is and and how they handle things yeah it 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 always like we've talked to a bunch of guys and what what just amazes me is so i didn't get involved in this until later in life and i'm i'm gonna say i didn't even own a sport bike until my 40s which I admit it's not the smartest time to start, but if you got to start sometime, <laughs> I mean, no time better than the present. Um, but I always look back on it and thought, man, I'd love to have been doing this like in my twenties. But, and then I think about it too. Like if I'd have been doing this in my twenties, I know how I am. I'd have blew a whole bunch of money. I'd be even more banged up than I am right now. But I just look at my, how I know my skill set was back then physically to what it is now. And like, I just always wonder what it'd be like. And it just amazes me that how good you guys are. Like it doesn't matter like what division you race, like everyone that races the GNCCs and these upper classes are just phenomenal like it, it it just blows my mind and i don't know how you guys do it and i i don't know if it's just me being 45 now and there's a this switch that clicked on in my brain is like you really can't do this anymore and i still think i can but that part of my brain like overrides the other part um but yeah i i hand it to you guys like it i think i'm fast you're not. And then you guys pass me and I'm like, I, I don't really even know what the hell I'm doing out here. Like I should, <laughs> I'm just hoping for the checkered flag is all I'm doing. Yeah. So, uh, it, it does. I mean, it, it makes a difference if you can start earlier than later, right? Like at a, at a certain point, there's a limit. Right. And I, I'm not saying that there that you can't be fast and be older because obviously there's, there's a lot of older people that are, that are quick and still are quick. Right. My yeah. dad is, is five. He used to run pro class when he was younger and he can still ride pretty quick. He doesn't train anymore, ride like all the time or anything like that. Um, but he can still ride quick. He just can't do it for as long. Right. <laughs> And he said the uh, the big thing for him is like he has to remind himself that he can't go out there like he did when he was 28 and run all out for the whole time. He has to make sure that he paces himself from the beginning so that he can have enough at the end that if he needs to push or something like that, then he has reserves left that he can use. Um, so there's, there is a difference. And I'm not saying that you can't get faster and i'm not saying that you can't uh get up to a, a really high level right that it's possible um doug eichner was 
40 some years old, still winning works championships. So I'm looking at it Colton right now. And as you say this, he has the biggest look of disbelief on his face, but no, please it's continue. Not, it's not disbelief. I just know you can't go fast. I, I could go fast for what? Five seconds in the open. No. <laughs> All right. Now hold on a minute here. <laughs> Now, before we go calling your dad out too much here, <laughs> your dad could still go fast. The only thing that gets you as you get older is obviously your body changes, right? So your body's not going to feel the same as it did when you were 20 at 45. True story. It's, not, <laughs> it's just not how it works. But given the proper training and the proper tools to do it, and the amount of time that you need to do it, which I know you work, most of us work, right? right? So it's hard to have time to do exactly what you need. But given that you eat healthy, you have the proper time to do it, you have recovery time, and you know when to push your body hard to train, you could still be just as good as somebody that is younger. Like it ages, age is just a number. And yes, there is a limitation sometimes on exactly how far you can go up but you could still be pretty fast johnny gallagher was still fast even when he decided he was retiring right he's he could still come out right now he's still faster than the average guy now he did do it for his whole life but he also trained correctly when he needed to he was riding his four-wheeler so if you're getting enough seat time and all those things it's just it it's all it is you just have to have time to do it and you have to be able to do it correctly. So you could still come out and, and be extremely fast and be way faster than the average guy that ever touches a racetrack. It's just, it's hard when you have other things that you have to take care of that are more important than training or, or things like that for racing. Right. Yeah. So that, that that's the biggest difference. And that, that's what, and I use that as an excuse and I know I use it as an excuse, but it's also a very valid point because as much as I want to on Saturday show up and be the fastest guy and push hard and, and give my best effort, you get to a point where you're like, you have to also succumb to reality. Like if I were to go out there and, and dominate my class, trail rider. That would be, that would be a, a, a one-off thing. And me knowing how I am, like, I wouldn't deserve, I wouldn't feel like I deserved that. Like, I feel like I lucked into that because it's exactly like you said, I don't put the seat time in. I don't come home and make it a priority to get on the bike and, you know, burn two hours or burn an hour because it, all things being considered, you know, I get home and I got to fix something or I got to mow grass or I got to, I got to do this or on my way home, I got to stop a Walmart. I got to pick up groceries and it all sounds like an excuse. And, you know, I will admit it is, it's a convenient excuse, but you're right. As you get older, it's not the will. It's not the ability. It's, 
I, well, it is the ability. It's the ability to put in the time that you need because at 45, you need to put in, I think, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, like when you're 20, you could put in an hour and to get the same effort at 45, you're going to have to put in six, seven hours to get somewhere close to where you were. And I just... I don't have that now. Like my brain still wants the results, but I just, I can't put the, the time into it to justify the results. So that's why I'm slow, Colton. Man, that was just one long excuse. (laughs) To further your point, and I'm not fast at all, right? Like I'm not the, the fastest guy on the track. But I, in the past two years, have not been really practicing. Like, my seat time is not, I've not been able to do it. I've got kids and I've got stuff to do around the house. Like you said, I'm, you know, cutting grass or something needs fixed around the house or just stuff that comes up, right? Um, basketball for my oldest kid or just helping take care of the kids so that, uh, Joy can go do stuff around the house or, you know, go out to the store or Mm -hmm. go have some time. Right. Right. So my seat time has been very limited. I still try to work out and stuff like that, but it still makes a huge difference when you're not physically riding the bike as much as what you should be. Um, but the thing that helps me is I I'm 25 right now. So even though I don't get to ride as much as I would like to, I'm still at a point that I'm young enough that my body can make up a lot of difference too. So even though my training's not perfect, it's still not, still not at a point that, uh, I can't take a little bit of time off the bike and still be able to compete. Right. So like I, I won the, the overall championship, not last year, but the, the previous year. Right. So, uh, 2020, um, I won the overall championship at New East Coast, and I won that championship not even 100% devoted to racing because I wasn't, there wasn't any on-the-bike training in between races. It was just I'm working out during the week, I race, and then I go home, I wash my stuff up, I ride it the next time I race. So <laughs> I, was, I was still able to, to win the championship, though. That, that season... I was able to trying to think of how to learn that season. I was able to only be beat by XC one guys from the nationals that came in, but I was not getting blown out of the water. So I wasn't a hundred percent devoted because I wasn't able to be doing on the bike training like I needed to be, but I was still trying to do as much off the bike training as I could to try to make up for it. Um, but the point being is, is that my age helped me with that because I could recover and I could be beat up a little bit more without it taking a, a serious toll on what I was doing during the race. So, you know, I was, I was running with Adam at some of the races for a while, or, uh, me and Cole Richardson battled at, uh, Brownsville at, at one of the rounds. We came off the line. Adam got the whole shot. I snuck around the inside and passed Cole off the line. And then me and him went back and forth a couple times 
during the the first part of the race at the end of the race i could tell i hadn't been riding as much i just let him go i'm like screw this i'm not <laughs> i'm not taking myself out right now i just let him go but then uh after i let cole go tanner was riding with us tanner walker was riding with us me and him were able to battle for a, a while and then on the last lap i think he made a small mistake and i was able to to uh pull a, a big enough gap that it didn't matter um, but the point being is, is that I wasn't hundred percent devoted and I was still able to run with some of the, the fastest guys that, uh, were, were coming into our series and I was able to win the, the championship just because I was consistent the whole year. So I was on the podium, like every round, but two, I think. Um, and, and most of the, the guys that beat me were, you know, Richardson, McGill, Jay Shatron, um, guys that are, are running at an elite level every single week at the nationals. And, you know, that, that doesn't stop when you come to a local, right? So yeah, I wasn't able to do it without training as hard. Um, I did, I do need to train more and I, I know I need to do it. Um, because I don't feel that I've reached my, my complete potential that I feel I can ride. Um, but it's time sometimes like I, I can't make more time in a day. There's 24 hours. So <laughs> no matter what I do, there's only 24 hours in a day. So I try to do as much as I can. You know, I, I'll work out at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, sometimes get back up at, at six o'clock in the morning and, and go back to work and do what I need to do. Um, so there's no excuses, obviously. Uh, I just need to, to be able to figure out how to manage my time good enough that I can, I can get that on the bike training and, and ride more during the week. Because I think if I can do that, then I would be able to reach my full potential and be able to, to prove that I can go faster than, than what I have or what I've shown so far. Uh, but you know, that, that just, that adds to your point a little bit of age does make a difference because I wasn't devoting a hundred percent, but I was still able to compete. Whereas once you get older, you do have to make sure that you are devoting that time because if you're not, that's going to make a way bigger difference than what it does. Like when you're in your, your twenties, for yeah. instance, it almost, it almost becomes a point where, like you said, at 25, you don't have to be all in necessarily to be at the very top. But when you're 45 like you have to be all in to be at the top like there's no like that has to be like your deal because like i can say like i don't work out nearly what i should and i know that and i would like to but i just can't do it and i feel like if that was my goal to to be faster and to be on the, the upper end and maybe make a podium one day. Um, like that would have to be my main focus. Like I couldn't just, you know, show up at the race, maybe ride once a week. Like I would have to actually put that as like the main focus for a whole year. And I just, as much as I would like that on Saturday, Monday or Sunday through Friday, it just, it's not the reality of it. It's just, it would be too selfish on my part 
um, to try and do that. So I just, I go out there, try to do the best I can and, and come up with really good excuses of why I didn't do as good as I did. And I have a really solid plan about how I can get better. I just don't ever follow through on it. So, I mean, that's where I'm at right now and it seems to be working well for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Right. So things come up, you, you have to do it. Um, like this winter, I've not been able to train the way I need to, to train. I mean, I still, I still try to work out as much as possible, but I have, I've rode my bike like twice since the last race. So that's, uh, if that tells you anything, I but, haven't even washed mine since the last race. <laughs> well, I, I haven't washed mine either. <laughs> I just rode it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it is a little bit cleaner now than what it was though when I parked it. So, <laughs> um, I just, like you said, it, you're not trying to make excuses, but, but stuff happens. So I just try to make the best of it. Um, this year I'm not, I don't have the help that I've had in, in previous years either. So like, I'm, I'm not going to South Carolina next week. Uh, I'm not even sure exactly how many nationals I'll get to run this year, but I still have like, I think we're what, right at a month until the first new East coast race. Yeah. The 16th. So, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's. It's almost exactly a month. So right now my uh my goal is is that I will be on the bike two to three times a week and I will be putting in, you know, two to three twenty minute motos every time I ride until the first new East Coast race because even though I don't I might not have the help to uh go run the nationals and stuff this year, I still want to run New East Coast and qualify there. Um my ultimate goal there would be to to come back and reclaim my uh, my number one plate. That would be that's my my main goal. Um, whether that happens or not, I'm I don't know, but I'm at least going to give it a hundred percent try to to get it back. Um, but between now and, and next month, I would feel comfortable if. If I'm riding two to three times a week between now and the in the first New East Coast race, that I would be physically ready for that that race. Um, but I would I would also like to to be able to if I'm not running the whole national schedule, I'd still like to be able to pop in at uh, some of the races and still compete. So I don't want to just pop in every once in a while and, and be the guy that runs good at the beginning of the race, but then I can't hang at the end of the race. So. <laughs> I'm at a I'm at a point in life where uh I mean 25's not the youngest guy on the racetrack anymore so I'm starting to get closer to the older side of of being on the racetrack with uh a lot of these new guys that are coming in. I mean your son will be coming in a few years. Um all these other kids that are that are moving up from the youth. I mean it's not easy to to keep them at bay, right? Like no, eventually I'm not getting any younger (laughs) and they're just getting better. So I, uh, I have to be able to take it more serious if I, if I plan on being able to stay where I'm at at least. Um, but like I said before, I I would like to continue to improve. Um, but I kind of have like a, a five-year goal, I guess. So if I don't do anything by the time I'm, I'm 30 more than what I'm doing right now, then maybe we'll, 
we'll talk about hanging it up at that point and just popping in every once in a while for a, a fun race and running like a sportsman class or something like that. But at this point, I, I feel like I'm still young enough and I haven't reached my full potential that I'm not ready to give up. And I know, like you, you said, sometimes it is a little, a little selfish to uh, spend more time on, on something that you want to do. Right. But I also don't want to, I don't want to pass this time up that I have left and then get to a point where I'm like, Oh man, I wish, I wish I would have done this differently because I feel like if I would have done it differently, then this is where I could have been. Right. So I, uh, I want to at least give it a hundred percent shot to improve between now and then and, and see exactly what my full potential looks like. Uh, unfortunately I got to, I'm trying to figure out ways to, uh, to carry that out on my own. Um, Dusty, Dusty Gatiss helps me out a ton. Yeah. Right? So he helps a- me. Yeah, so he he tries to help me out with pitting. Um, he tries to help me out as much as he can with, with the bike and stuff like that. But, I mean, he has his own kids racing, and, you know, he likes racing himself. So for me to, to take everything from him, it would be not rational, right? Like, I don't want to put him in a, in a place where he's trying to choose whether he races or not or anything like that. So I appreciate all the help he gives me and it definitely makes it a lot easier, but, uh, you know, he's, he's stuck by me. So I'll, uh, I will say that he's, whether I'm winning or losing, he, uh, he's still there. And that means a lot in this sport because I've, I've had people to help me and, they were there the whole time that you're doing good, but as soon as something bad happens or you're not performing exactly where you need to be, then it's like you don't exist or they don't want to give you the help that you, you might need to, to turn things around. So it's a, it's a fine line, but you know, people like Dusty or, or Bill Daly from outlaw motorsports, like those, those guys that stick by me, I appreciate that. And the fact that they do stick by me, that also fuels me a little bit to at least give it a shot to uh to make sure that they're not investing for no reason right so right. i don't want to let them down um i've i've got some kids that have came up to me and said that they uh they they looked up to me and, and they like watching me race so if that's true then i don't i want to make sure that i'm i'm performing every week so that way they can see what you can do and and uh you know i don't ever want to let people down um, most importantly, like, I, I feel like I'm probably the, the hardest on myself. Um, just as, as most competitors are right. Like most competitive athletes at, at any level, you don't have to tell them if they're doing bad. Right. So last year wasn't my best season by any means. And I know it wasn't, I know I had more on the table to offer, there was some circumstances that came up with breakdowns and and problems like that. And I don't want that to be the way that I go out. So like I said, I want to try to take the next five years and and try to show people what I can do. And and just the people that do believe in me and are there every week, telling me good luck or helping me out on the racetrack or helping me get to a race or anything like that. It, uh, I just don't want that to be wasted. So if I had any advice for uh, if I had any advice for Colton coming up is uh, you'll make a lot of friends 
along the way and there will be a lot of people that that help you but in the times that things aren't going 100 percent in the way that you want it don't get down on yourself because some people will leave based on on how you're doing and the ones that stick with you are the ones that are truly there to help you so i know that that might sound a little deep but it uh it's definitely true and it's definitely something that's realistic in this sport and, and a lot of people might uh, think about it. And then that, that's one thing that I try to instill in him is, you know, it, this, the racing community and I, I've found this out and we've only been in it for, I think this is going on our fourth year. It's a very tight knit and small community. Um, there's not like everybody, if you've been in it for a while, everyone kind of knows who you are. And, you know, as far as like dealing with sponsors and stuff, I tell him like, look, you have to, you have to, to treat them like they're not just there for you. Like you're there for them. Like they are your friends. Treat them as such. Like just don't, don't always go and say, what can you do for me? You know, what are you going to do for them? Like we had, uh, one of the sponsors we had for, for two years, uh, gold speed. Uh, we reached out to them just to renew the contract this year. And they said, you know, due to, you know, supply chain issues and just things beyond their control that they weren't going to offer support packages this year. And, um, you know, Colton asked me, he said, well, what are we going to do? What are we, what are we going to run? I said, we're still going to run GPS wheels. I said, I don't know them personally. And I don't even, I've never even seen the person that is my contact there. I said, but the lesson in this is at some point in your career, whether it's racing or it's whatever you do, you're going to fall onto a spot that you're not performing like you think you should or everyone thinks you should or you know you're going to have hard times and you're going to want to have somebody that's going to say you know what we're not here for you as results we're here for you for you and that's what i try and instill in him and this case being specific is look yes they are a company yes they are a business but still we stuck with them and I even, I even told them, I said, look, you know, whether you support us this year or not, um, you did for two years and we're going to stick with you. You know, we're not getting anything out of it, but whenever you signed us and you took us on as a supported rider, you know, the door swings both ways. If you're going to have a tough time and you know, you need some time and help to get through it. We're not going to turn our back on you. We're still going to support you. And then whenever you come through this, if it, if you're still there, then, you know, we made the right choice, but if not, then we, we can look at it this way and say, we're not one of those people that say, if you're not performing, we're out, we'll go to the next person that is performing. So that's what I try and instill to him. And it's exactly like you said, there's going to be hard times and then you're going to see who the people 
are that support you and really care about you as a person, not just as a competitor that's doing good. And in return, you need to be the same way because it'll take you a lot further in life, no matter what you do, whenever you are actually there for people and not just results. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then like, you know, I started doing the, the coaching thing too, right? To give back to the the racing community, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, obviously, it, it helps me be able to support myself in racing, um, just maintenance parts, things like that. So if, if I can make a little bit of money without overcharging people for something that I can give back to the racing community, then that that's great. Like I, I had people, I wasn't going to do it at first. And I had people that had kept asking me and kept asking me and kept asking me, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? Would you be interested in doing all these things? And finally I was like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think we can do that. You know, I'll, I'll help you out. And at first I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to do it for free. I'm not going to charge anybody. I just want to, I just want to be able to give people my knowledge. And then these people that started coming to me are like, Hey, we really appreciate this, but we feel that maybe you should charge a little bit of money for this. And then you can use that money to support some of your racing stuff. So bearings, uh, filter sprays, chain loops. Like if I can, if I can buy that kind of stuff without having to pull it out of my, my personal money, that makes a huge difference at the end of the year, right? Oh, absolutely. But the biggest reason that I, I do it is not because of the money, but because I just love to race and I want to be able to give back to the community. Well, there's some riders out there that I've seen that are really good riders and the results might not necessarily show it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can look at a kid and I can say, that kid can ride. And if his results are not necessarily there, whether it be because of you can't afford everything you need for your bike, right? So you're just patching stuff back together to race every week, but you love racing and you're, and you're showing up. Like those are the kinds of people that I want to help the most. It's, you might not necessarily be giving the best results, but I can tell that you love this sport just as much as me. That's what I'm there for. I don't, I'm not going to back out on somebody because they might not be, be doing as good. But like I said before, un unfortunately it, it's a realistic thing that does happen and people don't necessarily talk about it a lot. And I think, you know, usually people don't want to talk about it because it's something negative, but there is things like that that happen where you might not necessarily be doing as good as what you should be. And then people leave you and you're like, uh, okay, so I was good enough for you when, when I was winning, but I'm not good enough for you now. <laughs> and stuff like that will, will, will mess with you, right? Like th this game's just as much mental as it is physical. So that can mentally wear on somebody when that, that stuff happens. So the more you can stop yourself from thinking about the, man, I can't believe they, they left me. And you can use that as a, a fuel to make yourself better. That's, what made the biggest difference for me because when I was younger, I was Colton's age or, you know, coming up a little bit further, um, 15, 16 years old, 15 years old, I signed up in pro class 
at, at the locals and running pro class and I was running college eight, the nationals, right. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be, but <laughs> that's what <it> was, <laughs> um, but w- when I was doing good, like there was all kinds of people offering to buy stuff and like help me out in all these different ways. And along the way I started losing people. So what I, what I started doing was, is I started doing worse because I, I just, I mentally was not, not in it. I'm 17, 18 years old and I could physically do what I needed to do, but I just mentally wasn't there because I, I had a couple rough years and just people stopped backing me or like people wouldn't, people wouldn't come around as much. And it just at that age, I didn't really know how to handle that. Right. Yeah. Fast forward, you get a little bit older, you start thinking about stuff. And I, I just started having, and this might sound bad of me, but I just started having the attitude of, I don't really care. The only person that I really have to please out here is myself. So you can either be with me or not. It's not going to make a difference on my results at the end of the day, right? So that's just kind of my my way of thinking changed because instead of worrying about whether I get 20 sponsors on my graphics, I started saying, okay, well, there's a value to what goes on my graphics. And I don't want people that just sponsor me because they think I'm doing good. I want people that sponsor me because they want to sponsor me and they believe in me. So I try to, to believe in everybody because I think everybody has the potential to be good. You just might be having a a rough time. So that's, uh, I know I like to talk and ramble on a lot, but no, that's just kind of the way I started thinking about it is I don't really care what your opinion is. If you want to support me, then you can support me. But at the end of the day, I'm paying for most of this out of my pocket anyways. When I show up to the race, if I can leave the race and be 100% happy with the results that I just put in, that's all that matters. So when I was 17, 18 years old, I was always mad at myself because I knew I could ride better. I just wasn't. I just wasn't there at the end of the race. Like I could start out a race and be great, but by the end of the race, I wasn't. I wasn't able to, to hang where I needed to hang. And the older I got and the less I started caring about opinions and what people thought of me, the better my results started becoming. Um, so that that's just my, my two cents. And that might sound arrogant or whatever, but people are a, a product of their circumstance. And some of the things that have happened along the way in my career have just led me to a, a point where that's how it is. But I always try to give back as much as I can to the to the youth and you know whatever I can do to to help out the kids is what I want to do and it does not matter to me what the results are I just want to be able to to keep the sport alive and show kids that there is somebody there that can that will stand behind them yeah. so and and, <clears throat> and what you said there makes like so much sense because I can I can completely understand where you're coming from. And, you know, I'm going to say this and Colton's going to roll his eyes, but he can do whatever he wants. I, <laughs> I, I, I did the same thing, but when I was younger, I didn't race. I, I was, I fished a lot and there I did. It is. <laughs> there it is. There's, you have to sneak it into every episode. 
Well, it applies. Oh, I used to fish. I used to fish. Well, it applies here because well, everybody it, has something. Yeah, it applies here because it's exactly what Devin was talking about. Like when I was younger and I was fishing just be for the love of it. And then I started fishing tournaments and I started doing really well. And then, like you said, people come around and people, you know, want to be around you because you're doing good. And then you, you kind of feed off that and me being young, that kind of like my focus started going to that was like, wow, man, the more I do, the more people want to talk to me. And, you know, the more people kind of like think I know what I'm doing and, you know, this is really cool. And then it all started unraveling and then, you know, nobody started coming up to me after tournaments and nobody wanted to talk to me. And, you know, everyone was talking to this person that was winning. And the biggest thing to take from that is not necessarily that it happened to me or whatever, but what I learned from it was I was not mentally prepared to deal with that at that point in time. Like my, my mentality was I got into it cause I love the fish, but then it morphed into, I love the attention more. And then fishing became a way to feed that. And then when I wasn't getting that, it was like, Oh man, I suck. I, I, I don't know what's happening. I used to be good and now nothing works. And that, that goes to show that, had I been mentally stronger and been in the position that I am now, and like you said, where you are, is like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm out here doing what I love to do. If if you're if you're with me, that's great. We'll have a good time. We'll, you know, we'll, it'll be fine. But if not, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to enjoy myself, and I still know what my capabilities are. But because I wasn't mentally strong enough to deal with that at that time— I let the fact that I wasn't doing good and I let the the barometer of what the results were and what everybody else had, what they thought of me, kind of like dictate how good I was. And it, in the end, it kind of like it burned me out of it. And, uh, you know, that's why I always tell Colton, I'm like, as, as much as you think riding is going to help and, and, and practicing like you equally you have to be mentally strong like you have to be able to to take a bad race and say it's just a bad race it's not it's not what i did it's not any of this it's not I'm, i i can still do what i did a week ago it just it happens and you know, that's why i'm trying to instill in him like you gotta have a short term memory when it comes to these races, like when you have a bad race, you should learn everything in that race that is beneficial and be able to throw away everything else and be able to start from a fresh slate. Because if you don't, it'll mentally destroy you. Like you have to be mentally tough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, are you guys running the, the nationals this year? We're going to, we're going to start probably in Tennessee, um, because it's just too hard with me with work, trying to get off the time that I need to do these ones in South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, like especially Florida and Georgia, because 
I'm taking off at least a whole week. And if I do that, then like some of these other ones, like Iron Man, if I can, if we can drive out there in one day, you know, and I take a day off, I just don't have that much vacation. So we're going to do, providing that Colton does his chores and he keeps his grades up, we will, we'll start in Tennessee. And I I was kind of up in the air on that one, but last year we did just one race shy of being able to qualify for the year end awards. So he didn't get his award this year. So if we start in Tennessee, then he'll be able to qualify for the year end awards. And if he gets one, he'll be able to receive it this year. So yeah, that is the plan. Uh, we'll do the full New East coast. Um, and actually they're, we're partnered with them. Uh, they're the official race, series of the thumb throttle podcast and i just love everything they do we uh we raced a works when we first started we raced it for two years and i felt like i didn't know anybody there and it wasn't like we were showing up and you know colton was finishing 10th and you know ninth like he was actually i want no i got second you came in second and but it was just like so it was like a it felt like a sterile environment. We raced, we raced one new East coast and it felt like I knew everybody there. Like everyone was just a big family. Everyone was so nice. And honestly, the competition was better at the new East coast. There, there's so many more kids around his age that race the nationals and not only race the nationals, but are in championship uh, contention that also raced the new East coast, that it was just kind of like a no brainer. I mean, it, the people were nice and the competition was better. So, and they were closer for us too. So we just, we, we went all in on new East coast and, you know, we run the GNCCs as much as we can. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I guess Seth is, uh, he's all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now me and uh me and seth are pretty good buddies um i i like running new east coast i used to run uh, new east coast and mountain state uh and then i just got to a point where i just i i only race new east coast now um that's not to say that i might not pop in every once in a while at, at a different series uh last year i ran like a, a wexer i ran one one a works uh i can't remember if i I don't think I ran any mountain states last year, but then obviously my, my main focus is new East coast and GNCC. But, uh, for, for Colton, what is the biggest difference for you between new East coast and GNCC? Um, well, the GNCCs are a lot bigger why are you looking at me like that? I'm just wondering if you're just going to give your one word answer and then Shut we're going to move on to something else. Shut up. <laughs> um, so there's a lot more pressure at the GNCCs. Just the pressure is the biggest difference? Yeah, probably. I mean, the tracks are about the same. What do you mean pressure? <sighs> like, I feel like the GNCCs are harder to place in because there's a lot better kids there. 
Well, so like, I see where you're going with this. So the biggest difference is, is when you go to a new East Coast, you're a you're one of you're a top guy at New East Coast, right? You won the championship last year. Mm-hmm. I saw. <laughs> I I watch what you guys do. I watch lap times and stuff like that. So after every race, I go back, I dissect lap times and all kind of stuff. Not just for the adults, not just for my class. I'll go through every adult class. I'll look at youth classes. I'll I'll see exactly who's where and what they're doing and stuff like that. For you. You're saying pressure in and harder to ride at GNCCs, right? Mm-hmm. So the biggest difference is is that when you go to a GNCC, what happens is you're the top guy at New East Coast. Well, the guy beside you might be the top guy at MSXC, or the guy beside him might be the top guy at a Mideast race or something like that. So you're taking the best of the best of the best of everybody and you throw them in one place. Mm-hmm. So then, instead of being the top dog, now you're competing with everybody else that's equivalently the same person as you at their local series, and that's why it feels way tougher. The thing is, and this feeds off of the the mental thing that we were talking about, right? And this is kind of what I was trying to, to get to it at a certain point, like, the mental difference between a, a national and a and a local is you put more pressure on yourself at a national because you feel like everybody is better. But if you go into a national with the same attitude that you go into a new east new east coast race, right? You go to the line with the attitude that nobody on the line is any better than you, and you can win that race. You can win or lose a race before the flag even drops. So, true. so if you go to the yeah, if you go to the line with the attitude of well, everybody's tough here and everybody's hard to ride with, realistically, you already know that's that's what's happening, right? But you can tell your mind that that's not what's happening, and you could ride at a way higher potential without putting that pressure on yourself. So you already feel like you have a lot of pressure on you, anyways, to do good, but you don't want to add the extra pressure on top of that. So. I kind of figured you might say something about the pressure being a little bit more, or like the competition being a little bit stiffer when I asked that question. But that just leads me to my point of like, if you can mentally prepare yourself for that, you'll be way ahead of everybody else because everybody else on the line is thinking the same thing that you are right now. And if you can go to the line with a different attitude than what they have, you could win that race before the flag even drops. So. I just uh, not trying to to tell you what to do, but just a little bit of advice from somebody that's been in the position that you're in. And it, it's it's so true. Like, not I would say a vast majority of everything is mental. Like, yes, you, I can't go onto a basketball court mentally thinking. I'm Michael Jordan and perform like Michael Jordan. Like there is some kind of physical limitations there, but that's not saying that you can't take yourself and increase your position by several positions just by how you mentally 
approach a race and, and race a race or, or anything in that matter. Like it mentally, it's amazing what your mind will do that your body will react to. But when you ask your body to react to what your mind's doing, it's different. I I think I said that the right way, but basically what I'm trying to say is you can make your body do things that you didn't think you could do, but you can't make your mind do things that it doesn't want to do. Like you have to being mentally strong and mentally prepared is a huge advantage that you can gain over anybody. Hundred percent. I'm not like you said. You, you're not going to be Michael Jordan on basketball courts because you think you're Michael Jordan, right? Right. You're not going to show up to a race and think that you're Bryson Neal, and all all of a sudden now you're Bryson Neal. That's <laughs> not that works. Right. But you can still improve your results based off of that kind of thinking. So that was just kind of my uh, my thing to to lead him into the how that relates because I know he, I think he thought we were kind of crazy when we were talking about that. So. <laughs> And, and I noticed that, and I noticed that too, when he goes to the GNCCs, because he'll race the same kids in the GNCCs that he races in the new East coast. And I mean, I'm not saying that all things being equal, if they are equal, there's kids that he races at the new East coast that he'll put a minute on and then the tables are completely reversed in the new, in the GNCCs. And I keep telling him, I'm like, look, these are the same kids that you put a minute on in the last race and just walked away from. So what your issue here is mental. Like I'm sure maybe there's a different bike, but it's still, the big thing is like, it's still the same kid. You can put me on my bike or your bike or Bryson Neal's bike or Adam's bike. And it's still going to be me riding that bike. Like I'm only going to get out of the bike. What I can mentally get out of the bike, like how I can perform mentally. And so it's not, it's not the bike. It's, it's so much the rider that, that I try to like drill into him. Yeah, like it, at a certain point, the bike does make a difference, right? But two years ago at Mason Dixon, I ran my practice bike with stock suspension and everything on it. Stock A-arm, stock suspension. I put four one wheels on the front so that way it skinnies it up a little bit, and I flipped the hubs on the actual backwards so that way I could put the studs to the backside. Mm-hmm. And that brings it in narrow enough in the, in the back. But I ran that stock bike, and on the second... I think when I checked in on the second lap, I was running 18th overall on a bone stock motor, stock suspension, stock A-arms on my Suzuki. And that was the greatest feeling ever (laughs) (laughs) because I I knew what I was riding and I was still running good. And it just, it just gave me a energy boost that I, I don't know how to, how to describe it because like, I, I do have a nicer bike. I have uh, my race bike. I have axis shocks all the way around it and, and Walsh arms and, and all that stuff. But for some reason, I, I was riding that bike and it was just 
a completely different feeling that day. I felt like I was riding good. The results was showing that I was riding good. And then I, I had a, uh, a piece of a log go up in between my, uh, actual and like my hill guard. And it stuck in between the exhaust and the airbox on my four wheeler. And it like dead stopped me. And I ended up having to flip the four upside down to get this log out. But until that point, I was running pretty good. And then I still, I still ended up like third and 20 something overall. But like it just riding that, knowing that I was on less equipment and still running good was such an energy boost. Whereas sometimes I've been on my nice stuff before and just been like, wow, I feel like crap today. And this is just terrible. I don't even want to be out here. <laughs> and it's just a, a completely different different feeling. Now, do you, um, do you think, and not to cut you off, do you think like when you ride that stock bike, there's something in the back of your head that says, okay, I'm not riding the race bike. You know, I don't have my axis shocks on me. Um, so I think I know what I'm going to do. And then when you get out there and you do better, it's like, it's a, it's a mental boost because you're like, oh, okay, I don't have my axis shocks. I'm still soaking everything up. I'm still riding fast. So obviously I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep on it. Like as in a, the opposite way, like when you're on your race bike and you're like, man, I should be racing. I should be going faster. Why am I not? It like kind of takes you back a little bit. And I just wonder like if, if that might be one of the reasons why. I mean, it, it might play a little bit of a role. I don't feel like I necessarily go out of my way to think about that. Right. Like I'm not, I don't sit on the line on a, on my oh, practice yeah. bike and, and say, <laughs> You know what? I want to stock bike today. My my intentions is that if I can finish top five today, we're going to call that a win, right? I I still go to the line with the the same attitude I would as if I'm on my nice stuff. So I don't know if maybe that helps, but like I feel like sometimes I'm more comfortable on my stock bike than I am on my my good stuff. So. I don't know why. I just, uh, I feel like I ride it differently for some reason. Um, you're maybe more comfortable with it cause you ride it more. Well, I was going to say, well, when I, when I do get to ride, right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that is the case. Maybe like, so when I f first moved up, I was on stock revalve suspension and stuff like that. So for a long time, I didn't have any, like I didn't have any fancy suspension. I was just running stock A arms, revalve suspension, stuff like that for probably until I was like nineteen or twenty. And maybe just that that amount of time I spent on that kind of stuff makes me feel more comfortable when I'm on on my stock suspension and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. whatever it is, it works. So <laughs> um <laughs> Sometimes I, I prefer to ride my stock stuff over my my nice stuff, but um, that's nothing against uh, it's nothing against all of the companies that that help me out. Obviously, like Micah does does a really good job with my suspension. Like How I, awesome is Micah? Like I, I 
that guy is like salt of the earth. I love that guy. I've been trying to get him on here, but it's just our schedules haven't worked out. Dude, he's freaking awesome. (laughs) He, uh, he doesn't even, he doesn't say, I'll call him just to ask him questions about what I should be doing with my suspension. And he probably gets tired of me asking stupid questions, (laughs) but he never says a word. He'll just like, yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Maybe try going in this direction, see what that does for you. And, uh, you know, he just, he'll talk to you. He doesn't get mad about you asking questions. He'll explain something to you multiple times and not say a word about it (laughs) and just be like, how does that feel? Does that help you? Or he'll break it down into the better terms and be like, does this help you understand what I'm talking about when, when I tell you to set up a shock this way? And I've been, I've just been trying to take in as much as I can. So like when I'm asking questions or, uh, we, we did a, a shock day with him, out, uh, and, uh, that, that was super awesome because he was able to watch how I was riding and like adjust the clickers and, you know, we were able to pull the shocks off the bike and, and change stuff right there on, on the spot. And, uh, that was pretty cool. So, but I was trying to learn as much as possible. So I ask him all these questions and stuff, but I always try to take it in. So that way I don't have to ask him as much later, but yeah, he's like the, the best guy ever. I'm telling you. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've asked him. I'm like, Michael, okay. I know you've told me this before, but the blue knob, is that high speed or is it low speed? And, you know, he'll tell me, and I still can't remember. I believe blue is the high speed and the the black one, the bigger one, is the low speed. But I ask him that all the time, and he's never never once called me on being an idiot, even though I am and I can't remember stuff. You are. But, yeah. No, I have is. multiple times. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I just, I love that guy. Like, just a wealth of knowledge. And just a super good dude, too. Yeah, and and he helps me out a lot. Like, if I need something, um, obviously, I, I ride Suzuki, so, like, there's not as many parts made as what there used to be, right? Right. When he put the rear shock on my bike, he had to go out of his way to find the bottom uh, knuckle for the shock, right, so that you can bolt it onto the bike. The uh, clevis, the bottom clevis. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't know why I couldn't, I couldn't think. <laughs> but he had to go out of his way to uh, to find one of those for me because if not, he was going to have to put a, I think he said he was going to put a 450R one on. So I was going to have to put spacers and run a different bolt than factory on the, on the bottom of my shock. And I was like, man, I would really prefer not to do that if there's any way possible. And somehow he went and found me the piece I needed <laughs> and put my shock together and uh, got it done for me. And I was like, you know, th- this guy is awesome because sometimes you would ask somebody to do that and they'd be like, there's no way I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. If you want this shot, you're just going to take what I got. And he has never once said that. It's, Mike, I would really like to have the shock done this way. And then he figures out how to get it done for me. And it's, uh, He's, he's definitely one of a kind because there's not a lot of people that would do that. So no. we got our, appreciate everything he does for the sport. Oh, absolutely. We got our first set of access shocks and, um, he brought them to snowshoe 
And there, there was a mix up in our A arms because we run the Lone Star A arms and the older ones had a different, they mounted a little bit different. So that the shock that he gave us was too long for, for the A arms that we had. So we ended up having to not run them at snowshoe. And, uh, so he was up there and I'm like, well, when he gave them to us, I said, Mike, these, these don't fit. I was like, I. I could have swore I gave you the right measurements and he looked at him. He's like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Um, and, and mind you, before this, we waited, you know, whatever the wait time is for a set of axis shocks. Like you, you just don't call up, order a set of shocks. And then three days later, they're on your doorstep. Um, it's like that with any really good product. Uh, yeah. so I told him, I said, look, we have, till I'm trying to think it was like a month till the next race. I said, just, you know, make them how we need them, you know, whatever you need to do. And just, you know, we got a month. I'm going to tell you, we left snowshoe on, I want to say it was Sunday morning. Yeah. Tuesday evening. Those shocks were sitting on my front door, completely done, completely right. And, to a T and I was just like, man, you know, we're a nobody. And he went out of his way to not only fix them, but like he had to have left snowshoe, went straight back to Reading, went to the shop, fixed these shocks, put them in a box and then sent them out Monday morning for me to get them on Tuesday. I was just like blown away. Yeah. I'm sure that's probably exactly what he did too, because yeah. that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. <laughs> but now he's uh he's like I said, he's super awesome. He'll help out anybody. He uh he's a dirt bike guy though, so yeah, I don't is. know how I feel about that, but <laughs> it's uh it's an ongoing conversation <laughs> at this point. And that's that's <laughs> what I tell anybody. I'm like, look, if you can if you're in the market for a set of shocks in that price point. I said, all things being equal because you can take anything about any shock and not like something about it. Although there's really nothing I don't like about the access. Only the fact that I wish I could put a set on my bike. Um, you're never going to use them. All things being equal. Like you, Micah is the X factor in that whole situation. Like, I can't, and I'm not bashing Elka, um, but like, I can't call Elka and be like, Hey, whoever it is there, I, this is what I need. And then expect that to be performed to a T and be done in a timely manner where like, I can just message Micah and that's 90% of the, how I even order all my stuff. I'll just send him a message and be like, Hey, I need a set of shocks for Colton set at 130 pounds. I need fronts and that's it. I get an email. It says, Hey, your order's on the way. Um, and then anything he needs from us, he just messages me and that's it. Like it's, it's so simple and so easy. So all things being considered, if you have somebody like Micah, that makes it so much worth it. And that's why I try to push access to everybody that's in that market for that, that kind of shock. Like 
you're not going to get a a shock like this with service and that's made in America, that's sourced in America, that for for this price. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm like you. I I'm constantly pushing axis. So when people ask me about suspension, they're like, "Where should I go?" And I'm like, "Call Micah. <laughs> yeah, I'll hook you up. He'll get you taken care of, and you uh, you'll be." happy when you're done so <laughs> that uh now he's uh he's he's super awesome like i said um but you know it's uh the, there's lots of people around the sports that are that are awesome so yeah we've met so many there, good uh, people is there anything specifically for for colton that you have questions about that you would like to know mm-hmm. anything that i can do with nope well, I, I'm sure I don't have anything. <laughs> no, the, the, I deal with this all the time, Devin. But the thing is, how are you going to run a podcast <laughs> and not even say five words? That is not I'm true. Starting think, I'm starting to think you're just relying on your dad at this point. Ooh, somebody else calling you out. Get him off the podcast. Get him <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get better with time. Well, right? well, here's the so, thing. Like he gets shy about it. So even if he has a question, like I know he'll have a question, but he he doesn't want to like bother anybody. And even though you say like, hey, you know, it's open. Ask me anything. He'll say, ah, oh, no, I don't have anything. And then he'll ask me like two days later. He'll be like, do you think Devin would do this or what do you what do you that think that is not true yes it is true that is you false. ask me a a a very camouflaged question in in the fact of how you want it answered that's not true and but the good thing Devin is don't listen to him <laughs> the good thing is well, i tell you what anytime it, whether it's on here or not at any point if you have any questions that i can help you with you can have your dad reach out at any point or you can reach out if you want to at any point and I'll do what I can to help you. Again, I'm not the best out there, but if there's anything that I can do that, that might help you with any questions you have, just let me know and we can talk about it. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of crap because I know <laughs> you're on the podcast all the time and you've been, uh, You've been ragging on your dad pretty good this whole time, so I'm just trying to pick on you a little bit. Yeah, team dad. How's it feel now? Oh, yeah. Shut <laughs> up. Dad's going to stick. Well, but, Devin, I, um, I appreciate you coming on. I'm not trying to cut you off, but I, it's being selfish for us to keep you on this long. I mean, you, I'm sure you got bedtime and and get ready for school kind of like we do. Um, but the good thing is like, we'll see at the new East coasts. We'll see at some GNCCs. It's, it's not like the last time we'll ever talk to you. And there's always the, the, the invitation to come on whenever you want. Um, you know, you could say, Hey, you know, you guys doing a podcast, I, I'm free or whatever, or I'll reach out to you. The, the biggest thing is just trying to line it up, but you know, definitely. Um, we loved having you on. I wish I could have got you on earlier. Um, but you know, you had, 
you got obligations just like everybody else. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending an hour and 20 minutes with us. Uh, it doesn't even feel like that. I mean, whenever you get into the conversations, it just, time seems to slip away. So I, I really do appreciate that. Well, I can completely understand the uh, time <laughs> slip away thing, right? So uh, we've, uh, doing the, uh, doing the other podcast, right? Like sometimes you, you start talking to people and you'll be two hours, two hours deep into a show and not even realize that you were on there for two hours. So (laughs) I, I can completely understand that. And, uh, you know, it's no bother. Um, any, anytime you guys would like to have me back on, I'll, uh, I'll definitely do what I can to, to make that work. I just appreciate you guys, um, presenting me with the invitation to even, even come on and talk to you guys. Um, but like you said, you know, everybody's got, got things to do, bedtimes and, uh, <laughs> some of us got to work tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> me and me and you, yeah, <laughs> me and you got, got to work. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, last thing I, I was going to leave you guys with, and I'm not trying to hold you on here any longer is, uh, you can I was hold us on see as who long you're... as you want. Yeah, no, I, I got you. Um, Big big question I had was is who's going to win next week? Who do you think comes out, wins the opener, and puts a statement on the season just right off the bat? That's actually this week, isn't it? Isn't it the? Or yes, yeah, it's yeah. this week. Yeah, Wait, actu- this Saturday. Yeah, I actually had this in my in my notes for you. It was, and we went over this two weeks ago. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, originally this, and then it was Suzuki with a question mark and a few other things, and then it was predictions for twenty twenty four. So since you beat me to the question, uh, we went over this on the last podcast, and I mean it was semi train wreck but we did go over it i my top three now do you want to do you want to go just for big buck or do you want to do for the whole year because we did both let's do both okay do both okay so for big buck here you gotta make a column for devin okay let me make in the official show notes here devin all right so mine my this is me predictions this was colton my prediction for big buck was and this was the top four and i always preface this and i will till the day i die because the more people we talk to the more people i get to know and i i like everybody so it's just my gut oh it's so feeling. hard picking some one person <laughs> this is just my gut feeling <laughs> So, one through four, it's going to be Bryson, Walker, Hunter, and Stephen Harrell. Okay. All right. That's pretty good. And, I can go with that. And my my thought process behind this was the way Bryson has been riding these last two years has just put a big S on his chest. Like, no matter who you talk to, they'll always say, man, man, Bryson is just, he's so tough. He's so fast. He's just so strong. He's a bull on the bike. 
He's riding the high. Like it's going to be really hard to knock a guy at the top of his game off that has that many things going for him. Um, I'd love to get him on the podcast someday. Um, but I mean, in due time, I put Walker second because I, I don't see Walker being done. I, I feel that Walker has a chip on his shoulder, whether he admits it or not, he still believes that he's number one and he's going to be out to prove it. And when you get a guy that's that fast, that has won that much, you just can't bet against him. Um, Hunter is just ungodly fast and, and methodical and precise with how he races and how he thinks his race through. Um, and I just think there's something in there that always happens, whether it's a physical thing or just one of those things where his, he just thinks so much that it holds him back. Um, but I put him th- three and then Steven, uh, we've talked to Steven twice on the podcast and just talking to him like that is a guy that has the mental ability to just when he gets his time in to just walk away with this thing. So that's my reason behind the top four. So Colton, what's yours? I'm going to change up one of my answers. Oh, you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's... This is why I asked this question because I know things change. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my top four was Hunter Bryson. Now this is the one I'm changing. Walker, then Adam. Okay, that's that's still a good that's still a good solid top four pick. Right. I I will give you that. That is a solid pick. Now I know my top four is not going to happen. My my fourth place isn't going to happen. But <laughs> you, why not? You can't count out Adam. Like Adam is old salty. Like, what is the old, the, the old shaming thing? Like the only thing, the only thing salty going on there is the salt and peppered hair that he has now. Yeah, the salt and pepper gator. Yeah. And you can tell him I said that too. Yeah. I, I like giving him, <laughs> he was, he was the first pro that we actually met and I had reached out to him just to do like just some riding lessons and we ended up doing one. And, uh, I mean, since we've had options to ride with just about everybody, but it's like so hard to make that happen. But, uh, yeah, Adam was the first person that we ever really got to know. So like, regardless of however much sense it makes there, Adam's always going to show up in like one of our, our top finishers. Like whether it makes any sense or not, like Adam could be just like, oh man, I felt like shit. I, I am, I haven't been eating. I haven't been sleeping. I don't even think I'm going to race. And we'll be like, Adam's going to win. Adam's going to win. Just, hey, yeah, that's how it is. So, um, well, I've known him pretty much my whole life. So <laughs> <laughs> he used to, used to race with my dad when he, uh, first came into pro class and my dad was, uh, 
kind of in the same position where I'm at right now. Like he was mid late twenties. Um, but him and Adam used to battle and, uh, have some, they beat off of each other and stuff like that, uh, during local races. And, um, it, it was always cool. I've, I've always known Adam. I always give him an exceptionally hard time also. So well, he, he brings I, it on himself. Well, and I just, like I said before, when you grow up around these guys, you, yeah. you don't, uh, you don't look at it the same as like maybe what some people do. So like I've said some stuff to him before in front of other people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think they thought I was serious and they're like, <laughs> Oh, you can't talk to Adam to go like that. And I'm like, well, this guy ain't nobody to me. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, uh, you know, just messing with him, giving him a hard time. But, you know, he always picks on Parker and, and he'll say stuff to the, to the kids when we're, when we're at the races and stuff like that. But, you know, and I've just, I've known him my whole life. So for me, I just, I tell him whatever. I don't care. I don't hold back. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you, uh, if you ever heard us on the starting line talking to each other or something, <laughs> you definitely think we hate each other. <laughs> like we'll be, we'll say stuff to each other and people walk by and they look at you. And you're like, <laughs> it's uh it's okay. We're, we actually, we get along um, regardless of what this sounds like right now. <laughs> so, but no, he's, he's awesome. I love what he does with the kids and uh, I love the fact that he, he's still hanging around and, and pushing and still trying to win. And, you know, you definitely can't count him out because as soon as you count him out, guess what he does? Yeah. He proves you wrong and he pops right back in. <laughs> so I, I think that's a good solid pick and I don't think it's impossible at all for him to be in the top four. So I, li I like your top four picks. So what's, what's your top four, Devin? I'm going to have to go with Bryson for the win. All right. I, uh, I like Bryson. Bryson's a good guy. He puts in the work. He might not be the most easy on a four-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard he, uh, that. He definitely rides pretty rough, but I, I think he's probably going to come into the season wanting to prove a point and make sure that everybody knows that he is the top guy still especially with Walker back in the picture in the way that last year ended. Right. So Walker put some wins in and, uh, you know, I think Bryson's going to want to come back and, and prove that that wasn't, that that was, uh, not how this season's going to be. And it's not going to be that easy for, for Walker to be able to get those results. So Bryson first Walker second and, I think I'm putting him at second because I think him and Bryson are going to go toe to toe a bunch this year. Because like you said, mm -hmm. Walker's got a chip on his shoulder and he's got something to prove. I know he says he's riding for fun and that he's having a good time with it right now. You and I both see but he through that. Be, yeah. He would not be lining up if he doesn't think that he can, if he doesn't think that he has a chance to win, he wouldn't be on the line. Absolutely. So, I'm putting him at second because I think he's coming back to prove that he's the top dog and Bryson's going to be first because Bryson's going to want to make sure that Walker doesn't get that confidence. Yep. Um, third. Who? And this is difficult for me to pick because I get along <laughs> with all these guys. Exactly. So, That's what I said. 
Yeah, if I say the wrong thing, then one of them's going to be right. giving me shit. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I talked to Walker, I, I talked to Bryson, I, I talked to all these guys frequently, and if I say something, they're going to call me out on it. So <laughs> I got to watch. How no I one listens to this podcast. You're okay. Listen, I I saw a little bit ago that on your last live video there was two point one k views. So I seen that. I was nobody, I was. Yeah. I, I do my homework. <laughs> I do my homework. Don't, I don't. worry. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys are doing just fine. I like what you're doing with the show. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's awesome that you're doing it with your kid. I think that makes it even better, right? Like the fact that you guys just found something that you like to do and you, and you can do it together. I think that's awesome. Well, but, who said I like to do this? <laughs> you don't have to act like such a badass. Yeah, Shut you can act up. <laughs> you can act tough all you want to, but you wouldn't be doing the show all the time. If you didn't like going on the show and doing it, right? I'm forced to, and he doesn't pay me. It's like <laughs> slavery. Oh, we will bring out child labor laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, third place. I think in third place, I'm going to put. Oh, man. I know I'm holding you up here. This no, is, you take all this. I'm fine. All right. So I don't think it, I want to say Hunter. But it's tough. At the same time, there's other people that it could be. I know. Like Richardson's out of the picture because he's not racing all the races. Like there's so, so many. There's so many guys that like I could easily intermix here. Like Wyatt Wilkins, one of them. Know. Um, I'm Josh Merritt's one of them. It's just these are those I were the. Think so I was going back and forth here as I think Josh is, is hungrier than, than ever, right? Like his results last year consistently were better than the year before. Right. He, he rode at a level last year that he's never rode at before. I think I'm going to put Josh at third. That's where I so had him. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be Bryson Walker, Josh Merritt. And I think I'm going to put Adam at fourth. Oh, the I mean, he's been in, he's been in Florida, he's been riding. South Carolina first round of the year is not always necessarily his best round, but still a decent result. So I think I'm going Neil Fowler, Merritt, and McGill. Yeah. I, I think I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, that's very solid. Like, actually, Colton had Josh in third. Mm-hmm. And then he switched him out for some reason. Yeah, because I didn't have Walker in there. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And, and and I'm not saying the hunter won't be be in there because obviously he's capable of it. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I think Adam still got it. I think he can still do it. He just has to put the pieces together to consistently do it because he's shown us shot. He's shown us signs that he can still win, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Merritt, again, he's hungrier than ever. His results are speaking for themselves. 
He's finishing better than he's ever finished. He's been on the podium. I think he's I think he's ready for that next thing that's coming. Um, he's he's obviously he's older than me, so he's at a point now where he either has to he has to do it or he might not get that chance. So that's nothing obviously against Josh. That's something that you know even as I'm getting older, that's become a reality of at a certain point, I have to face the facts that I, I might not be able to, to do what I, I used to be able to do. So I think it's now or never for him. And I think he knows it. And I think that's the difference that we're seeing in the, in the riding and the things that he's doing. Yeah. So that's my, my reasoning behind that. And I, I think that even translates into Adam too. It's it. I, I, I think he has a good year. He still comes back for another we year. We say that every year. But it's all things being equal and being realistic about it. Like, we can joke about him all the time and, and give him shit about being the old guy and, you know, all that. But somewhere he knows, like, he's on the backside. And that's not a dig on it. Like, that's just the reality of it. Like, you can't race at that high of a level for much longer at some point every every racer comes to that realization right right like and it'll be i'm 25 i know realistically when i get around 30 that if i haven't hit a a peak already that it's going to be much much more difficult for me to gain speed after that point Nothing saying I can't maintain speed. If I stay in good shape and I keep riding and stuff like that, I can maintain speed, right? Anybody can. But once you hit like that 30, 32 mark, if you haven't already hit a, a peak of where you want to be, it's going to be much, much harder for you to to improve and keep reaching higher levels. So, right. Yeah, you hit that a while ago. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, like, like talking about Adam, like the reality is what the reality is. And I, I think everybody, I think the sport in general would just benefit by watching Adam be competitive into his fifties, but that's not the reality of it. At some point in time, his body is going to do like everybody else's body does. And I would love to see him because I think he's great for the sport. He's great PR, uh, He's just one of those guys. Um, but I think that's going to be weighing too. Like it, it's, it's going to be, it's not now or never, but it's no time is better than the present time. And every time after that's just going to be getting a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, I, it was, I was watching when he, he raffled off his, his, um, his gear. I think it was this year and he was going through all his, his stuff, his commemorative stuff at, at, on his shelves. And he had that one thing that somebody gave him that can of whoop ass. He said, I wasn't never going to open that until I won a championship. And it was just like, man, that is, that is one reason right there. Why I'd love all things being equal. I'd love to see that just to have somebody be able to accomplish something like that. Yeah, and he's came so close. Mm -hmm. 
Like there's been years that he has been right there to win the championship and just something happened. Like New York, the one year he broke down on the last lap and they had to push him to the finish. Yeah. Well, look back at the results on that. And if he would have finished that race where he was running, that championship could have turned out way differently. Mm -hmm. So you might not be talking about Walker Fowler having seven in a row or, you know, you you could be talking about Adam McGill having one or two championships of his own at this point. So it's funny how one little piece can make a difference in how much history can be completely different. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I think, uh, I think those are all good, solid picks. Um, is there anything on your list of uh, things that you had wrote down that we can run through real quick that you want answered? Uh, I know you said that you had a Suzuki on there, question mark. Yeah. So I am running Suzuki's again. I'm not. Last year I started the season off on Yamaha's. Um, things were not working, <laughs> and I could, not, I could not make things work the way I needed them to, and I need uh, – I think I could make a Yamaha work. I just needed some more things to make that happen. So I was not able to get those. And I went back to Suzuki to finish off the season. My results improved because I was finishing races. And I felt way better. Um, (coughs) You're not having too much help. Uh, So, you know, there's no big main sponsors that are giving me a bike to ride or anything like that this year. So I'll be back on my own program. Um, obviously with with the support group that I have had around me for a while. So Bill Daly, Micah, uh, Dusty, will, you know, he'll do what he can to help me. Um, just mostly just spectators, right? Like spectators at the races is what helps me the most. Um, I've had people literally just walk up to me and be like, what can I do to help you with your program? And, you know, give me some parts or give me some tires or something that I needed at that point. And, you know, that, that stuff means the most to me, like mm-hmm. big sponsors and stuff are, are great. But the fact that there is people out there that also want to see me do good. I appreciate it when the, when that stuff happens or like if I have a kid come up to me and, and say something about, you know, they like to watch me race today because they thought it was fun or, you know, they want to come ride with me because they, they think that would be cool. That's the stuff I race for that that's the stuff that keeps the sport going and that's the stuff I race for. So I will be back on a Suzuki racing under my own, own, uh, tent. We'll call it right. (laughs) Um, so that, that's where we'll be for that. Uh, what was the, what was the next one you named off? Oh, there was, uh, well, there was that, but we've got to finish the other part of the season too. What do you think your top three for the end of the year? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so top three at the end of the year at the Nationals, I think, is uh, Bryson Neal repeats the championship. Walker Fowler is a close second. All right, So I think it's going to come down to the last race again between those two is what I, I see in this championship. That could change as the season goes, obviously. But predicting off of not knowing what's going to happen for the season, knowing the competitive nature that Bryson has, the competitive nature that Walker has, I think it comes down to the last round between those two and Bryson comes out on top. Walker is not going to let him have it easy. Uh, third place in the championship. I'm probably going to have to go with Hunter Hart. So as much as I think Josh Merritt can, can podium, um, 
I think Hunter is is the next. Uh, trying to think of how to how to word this so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think Hunter is the the next rational decision just based off of previous seasons. So I think Josh is is capable of doing it. I think Wyatt Wilkins. I think he's uh, capable of doing it. So I think there's multiple people that are capable of being that third guy. But just based off of what we, we know and based off of facts have that we can go off of, I think Hunter is uh, realistically that, that third guy. So that's my top three prediction for the season. And that was that pretty much mirrors mine except one and two were uh, switched there. And, and the reason with that is – and it's kind of like the exact same thing that you said, only I put I put Walker ahead because I just – I know how bad Walker wants to come back and say, look, I'm not done. I can still do it. Um, it doesn't take anything away from what I, I think it will come down to, like you said, the last race. And I think the wild card in that is, and you said it yourself, how hard Bryson is on bikes. And when he has somebody breathing down his neck, like Walker's going to this year, I think that may force him to push that bike a little harder than that bike is willing to go. And I think that is, I think honestly, that is going to be the deciding factor in it is it's not riders. It's going to be bikes and it's Bryson's going to push that bike to the point where that bike just can't handle it. Um, and that's not saying anything bad about the bike. That's just saying that here's a guy that's willing and strong enough to break this bike in half and just ride it harder than it's going to be. And that's how I came up with my top three. Well, I mean, you're talking about a guy that in two hours of racing a national can has the ability to ride a bike and has done it before to not even wreck the four wheeler. And by the time the race is over, not be rideable for another race. Right. Like just pieces broken and stuff like that. That wasn't even from hitting something too hard or, um, you know, just a, a wear item or, or something like that. Just physically riding the bike so hard that he can break the four wheeler. Yeah. Uh, they run tougher subframes and like all kinds of these things that they do to combat those issues. But, you know, you, you can only make it so tough. So that could be uh that could be a deciding factor. So I think, I think you're right. I think it could, that could happen. That scenario definitely could happen. I think time will tell if Bryson has learned from past mistakes on doing that kind of stuff. Um, we'll, we'll see how smart he plays it. I think as he's gotten further into his career, he obviously rides a little bit smarter than when he started, but, uh, I think time will tell, and I think that scenario could play out, um, and, and it's not an impossible thing for for Walker to win, right? Like, yeah. Even even though I said Bryson might win, I said that it would come down to the last round and it would be close. So it could go in the other direction, 
that that's not an impossible task. Yeah. So, okay. Who you got, Colton? <laughs> I feel like all mine are like wild cards. <laughs> so, all right, who you got for the top three? I have Walker, Hunter, and then Adam. All right, all right. I mean, that's that's definitely not an impossible scenario. And and, and the thing is, especially like your dad was just saying. Like if if Bryson breaks his stuff too much and he has too many mechanical failures or makes mistakes, well, that could automatically drop him right out of the equation, anyways, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right. So or if he pulls a walker. That is true. That could happen also. And, Racing's and, unpredictable. And so the, and the thing is, I don't think there's anyone in that that XC one class that if they won the championship that you would just be shocked beyond words. Like everyone's there for a reason. Like they are extremely fast. They're extremely good at what they do. It, it comes down to consistency. And if somebody can find the consistency and put the races together and have the backing to do it, I mean, it can happen for just about anybody because like you said, racing is unpredictable. They, they, my t- our top three could all get knocked. Uh, I hate saying this, but it's the reality of it. They could all be knocked out in the first race, and then it's a wild card for the rest of the season. So it, it's yeah. it's yeah. it's not like one of those things where you have all the pundits and you can say, well, this is definitely going to happen because this is the way it is. And there's so much. There's so much that can happen in two hours of a race that can affect the whole season that, I mean, let's face it, we we can give all our justifications for how we picked it, but anything can happen, and we could be way off. And there's there's also people that we didn't even mention, right? Right. Like John Blotta's riding for Phoenix yeah. this year. Yeah. So John Blotta's is plenty capable. Um, the only thing that I don't know yet is how he's going to rebound from the wrist. So that's why I was a little reserved on, on throwing him out for the first round and, and top three for the season. Right. But that might change after the first round. Maybe John comes out and he just puts in a phenomenal ride because he is capable of it. He's capable of winning. He's, uh, he's got all of the, the potential to do it he's got all of the skill to do it so there's a lot of people that we we haven't even mentioned that like you said that they all have potential to win so john might be a, a wild card that pops in and says you know what i'm throwing my hat in the ring yeah but uh again race racing's unpredictable so we'll see where we're at in a couple we'll see where we're at in a couple rounds and and see what things look like and then uh maybe we can circle back to this conversation and and see if uh, we made ourselves look like fools or not. <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> but uh, the only other, the only, the only other thing that I had on here, not to keep you too long, but this could even go long. But I, like I said, I got nowhere to go. So you answer at your own pace. I we started the podcast, obviously one for something for him and I to do together. Um. The other thing too was to give a little added benefit to our sponsors. 
Um, and the third thing was, and maybe this was being arrogant and, and whatever, but it was to grow the sport. Um, what, by could, five people? But you are like the most negative person in the world. Um, Some would say negative Nancy. <laughs> but <laughs> what do you think we can do as racers and just people that talk about it that that keeps the sport not only going but growing because the writing has been on the wall like there's only one manufacturer making sport bikes now um the parts are harder to get for suzukis they're harder to get for yamahas or for for hondas so the the industry support isn't there as a macro level there's there's still a bunch of micro um manufacturers that make parts and and do that and they make great parts and they put their heart and soul into it but what do you what do you think we can do if there's anything that we can do to get it back to like the days when Bill Balance was racing and, and, and Borch was winning all the championships. And those guys could not only go out there and afford to race, but actually make a little bit of money. And there was a future at it. Like what is, what do you think needs to happen to get back to that? Or, or can we even get back to it? So this is a tricky question, right? Um, all right. So a couple things to this. One thing is, is we're at a point now where yes, there is only one manufacturer, right? We have people that make parts, um, a arm companies, shock companies, things like that, obviously. But to be able to, to take the sport to the next level. And I know sometimes I don't do the greatest at this, but social media is, is a huge thing. So more videos you can pump out or like the, the more things you can come up with to engage people that might not necessarily be in, in the racing world, yeah. but still see video and it catches their attention. And they're like, they take 20 seconds to watch a video that you posted and they have interest in that. Well, now what that does is open a door for new sponsors that are outside of the racing industry to start bringing money back into it. So at this point, I don't see any of the factories really saying, you know what, we should bring something back and, and start investing money back into this. But if played correctly, we could bring in outside sponsors that aren't necessarily connected to the industry they still bring enough money in that it's worth having your A-arm companies or, you know, like Walsh makes chassis, Lone Star makes chassis. So the rules might have to change a little bit as we get to. So instead of having the, the OEM rules where it has to be a factory bike, that rule might have to tweak a little bit as we get further away from when bikes were made to be able to accommodate people still being able to race downside of that is is it makes the bikes more expensive right um because if somebody has to build a chassis and it's custom chassis well they're they're going to charge more money for it obviously and the price of materials is not going down anytime soon if anything is going up right um 
but ultimately, if, we, if we're going to keep the sport alive and we're going to continue to grow the sport, we're going to have to look at things like that. So it may come down to a, well, right now, if you look at XC1 or XC2, it says it has to be OEM chassis, uh, stock board stroke. Like, th- there's those rules in there, right? Mm-hmm. So we might come down to, well, you don't have to run an OEM chassis anymore. Now you can run Lone Star or Walsh or whatever you want to spend money on. It may cost you 40 grand to build a four-wheeler at that point, but it's still something to keep the sport alive. And if we can bring in outside sponsors, then we can keep those prices down because um, it, it just, if they're investing more money, there's more money to help other people. So the more money there is to help other people, that means there's less money coming out of your pocket. So if we can bring in those outside sponsors by doing social medias and um, podcasts like your like yourselves or like the, the podcast we were doing, stuff like that is, is what brings in outside sponsors and makes it worth their time because you can put them in front of an audience that might use their product and they're willing to pay for that. Right. So I think it takes outside sponsors. I think manufacturers are probably not going to just up and start making bikes again. But if you bring those outside sponsors in and people are building bikes and buying custom chassis and stuff, then manufacturers might look at that and say, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that could use what we're, we should be selling or what we used to sell. Right. Um, So that might be one way to get them back. There's obviously not a hundred percent set in stone answer that that's going to get it back to where it used to be when Bounce was winning nine championships in a row or Forge right. was winning. Um, as far as parts go, like I know everybody tells me all the time, "Well, how long are you going to stay on Suzuki's?" Well, I mean, at this point in time, I can get any part I need within a day or two and not have any problems. So. Supply chain issues for me as far as getting parts is not a problem. Um, it's not even necessarily more expensive for me to ride a Suzuki than it is to ride a Yamaha. Like some of the stuff I was buying on the Yamaha was even, it was actually more expensive for some of the parts I was buying on Yamahas than what it is compared to my Suzuki. So I don't, I haven't had that problem yet. I know some people have told me that they have that problem. Um, maybe it, Maybe I just know enough people that I I can get around that. Um, but typically, I, I don't see problems with getting parts or or anything yet. I know eventually I I will. Um, so then I might have to evaluate what I'm riding at that point, just based off of what's available. Uh, same thing for Hondas. Hondas obviously were built longer than Suzuki's, though. So if I'm still riding Suzuki's at this point. And I can get parts and stuff that I need. I don't see any reason that Honda can't keep going for at least the same amount of time as Suzuki has went without manufacturing a bike. True. Um, so I I think we still have a little while before we have to to worry like a, a ton. But there is going to come a point where where that is a big concern for everybody. Is what do I ride? Because the only thing that's available is a Yamaha. And if you have to stick to OEM rules, then obviously you're going to have to go to a Yamaha. But right. and uh, there's no guarantee that Yamaha keeps making bikes either. 
Yeah, the only reason they're in it right now, obviously, is because they're the only ones doing it. So right. if it's not making them money, it doesn't make sense to do it. And it's like every other business. If it makes money, it makes sense. So if they're just building bikes and they're not getting anything back, then it's not worth their time to uh, to keep doing it. Um, they may in the, in, in the future decide not to, to build bikes, but I think to continue growing the sport, we have to focus on the kids coming up. So the kids Colton's age, the kids that are younger than him, um, some of the kids that are a little bit older than him that are just coming into the adult racing and, and stuff like that. We need to focus on those kids, make them enjoy the sport and make them feel like there's people here to help them and that they're not just going to be left hanging uh, because the youth is what keeps the sport going. So the more we can keep the youth involved and keep them having fun and keep them, keep them wanting to come back every year, that's a huge benefit. And then all of these kids are growing up with social media and stuff anyway. So that, piles on top of where I said, you know, advertising on social media and things like that is going to bring outside sponsors in. Well, these kids are already doing it. So it's just natural for them. Right. When I was coming up, Adam was the one, you know, paving it. He paved the path for all of us when it came to that stuff. He, he was a marketing genius as far as the racing world went. That's why he's been able to do it for so long and keep making a living in racing. Um, but these kids are already used to it. So they're doing it at a young age and then they're coming up. So that helps. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, my big things would be social media, keeping the kids in, involved and outside sponsors is what's going to keep us, keep us going as a sport and, uh, you know, be able to give us that room to, to grow. So hopefully that wasn't too much, but no, no. And, and I, I kind of feel the same way. It's, it's the outside sponsors because right now, if you look at it, the manufacturers are just riding the wave. Like they under, they, they put in their money to get to where it is. They're just riding the wave right now. So they're just cashing in. And so they're really not, they don't have to put in anything else. Obviously Honda isn't Suzuki isn't Kawasaki isn't, um, and Yamaha is just the last one there. They're just, they're cashing checks. So as long as they can still cash checks, they're still going to keep putting stuff out there. But, you know, if nothing's growing and there's no, there's no like future in it, then it's easy. It's, it's easy to see them disappear. But I really agree with the outside sponsors because there's there's a there's a market there that when you look at it and i think the outside sponsors really have came in in a lot of the different sports because you know it used to be if you know you were and i'll go back to the fishing analogy and go. i'm like okay okay um you know for the longest time the only people that sponsored any of the fishing guys were your rod manufacturers, your lure companies, your boat companies. Um, not even say like backer, um, like some of your, your pole companies, obviously, because they want to sell their fishing pole. Right. And Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't even so much like the motor companies. 
But now as the sport's grown and it's got more media attention, now you start seeing, um, you know, Crown Royal is a, is a sponsor. Um, you know, you just get these like Outback for- Steakhouse. Like, they look at it and they say, because they have very smart people in their marketing departments, and they say, look, there's markets out there that nobody else, our competitors, aren't taking advantage of. Um you know, it might not be the biggest market out there, but they're still an untapped market. So for the outside sponsors to come in and see the racing community and say, well, you know, um, say it's, we'll just say Chevrolet. Um, and that's probably thinking big, but you know, is, well, Do- is Dodge out there supporting the racing funny community? You, uh, funny you say that because... I do have one sponsor in my back pocket that I've been working with that hopefully everything will, will work out, but they are a Chevy dealership mm-hmm. and they're in the, the tri-state area, right? Like they have a dealership in West Virginia. They have a dealership in Ohio, PA. Uh, they cover like Maryland, stuff like that. So they're a decent sized dealership, but they're a Chevy dealership, but, I've been trying to reach out to the places like that, right? You want to sell vehicles? Well, guess what? How many big trucks do you see going to the races or, you know, mm-hmm. not even necessarily big trucks, but just trucks in general. Yeah. Um, SUVs, a lot of, a lot of families going to the races, third row seating SUVs, stuff like that. Um, so I am, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to reach out to, to different things like that too, but I know that's not, straight through Chevrolet, but right. Right. It's still, it, it's still, the still same something. Thing. To, yeah. It's still something to build off of. Right. Like you're, t- you're talking about Chevrolet and Dodge and stuff like that. But the main point being is you can sell vehicles by being in our sport. Right. Um, camper companies or RV companies, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like th- those kinds of people. I know, uh, Brown's RV superstore in South Carolina helps out a lot of people. Um, they sponsor, they sponsor Stu also. Uh, they've helped Ricky Russell, Josh Strain, like all kinds of guys. Um, but they, they know that there's a market there to uh, make money off of that. So that's a, that's a big thing there. Um, also, the other thing to, to add to that is, and I know this isn't the easiest thing to ever do, right? But promoters have to have incentives for people to want to keep coming back. I understand that racing is fun. And again, I don't do this for a job, but anytime you can get any incentive money for the pro class, like the payouts haven't really changed for, I don't know how long. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm only saying this because I'm in the pro class so I can speak on that because I know what that's like. But I think even back through like your youth races, your A classes, your B classes, C classes, all that stuff, you don't even necessarily have to give away money. But if you can have products that will help them get to the race in a couple weeks, right? Like you race, you got a couple week break maybe somebody needs some tires or 
Maybe somebody needs some sprockets and chains or something like that. If we incentivize those classes with products that help people be able to return to the races again, you're still making money at the end of the day because you can get those incentives from sponsors that are sponsoring this, this series and the promoters. And then in return, you didn't pay anything for those. You help somebody else that came to your race and then you still make more money when they come back the following time. So everybody gets to have fun. Everybody gets to make their part of their money. Right. And everybody goes home happy. So I think promoters need to do a better job of incentivizing the, the racing, right. Um, just, just ways to give back to the racing community and the people that are supporting them every week. There needs to be a better way to do that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not complaining about money by any means. I'm just referencing that because that is, that is something that I've personally been a part of that is, well, we don't really, we're not making any money to even cover the cost of what it costs me to race. So I'm still losing money to come here and I'm running pro class. Mm -hmm. So I know everybody's like, Oh yeah, boohoo, the pro class, you guys, (laughs) At least you make some money, but um, I'm not saying it in a, in a way to complain about it. But and just I, I look, all around, we yeah. Need and I <laughs> I look at that two ways because, like you said, I'm I 100 percent agree with the incentives, like for youth riders and stuff like that. I I think one of the now one thing that I disagree with, and this is counter productive to my stance i don't ever think that we should ever put any money into the youth classes because at that point it becomes a money game to to win a little bit of money to the parents too yeah and so yeah i don't think we should ever put money in right but 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 if you can put product yes Absolutely. Now on the, yeah, on the I, I think products would be great. Yeah, on the pro side of it, and I, I've heard arguments for both sides of this, and I th- I think it was uh, Johnny G that said this. He was like, I don't necessarily want to see more prize money because there's ways to make it. Um, I agree with that on one end of it, and I can see where he's coming from, but at the same time, like. Johnny Gallagher has been blessed with a skill set. Not only can he ride fast, but he's he's good at marketing. He's good at he's good at sales. So he has that skill set. Say you have a guy that is just lightning fast, just a phenomenal racer, but has no marketing skills. Um, should that guy be handicapped? by not being able to win much in prize money, like, yeah, he's going to suffer because he won't be able to get as much out of his sponsors. But I, I was always an advocate and I, I still will be for raising the, the purses for the pro class. Um, and, and it may, it may come across like, well, you know, why are you only giving the pro class money? Well, 
if you look at it, they they are the ones that most of the time that's their job. Like you can, I can say how much I spend on bikes. And even if, you know, I was still paying for Colton and he's running, you know, college a, I'm yeah, still going to be paying for me, buddy. I'm still paying for it, but that's not his only job. Like I, I would like to see the, the purses go up. I would like to see when somebody wins an XC one race to be able to cover it. Cause I think we did the math on it once. If you won every XC one race, you still couldn't pay for what one of your four wheelers was. Um, and that's, Not even, yeah, you get recover half, uh, XC one build. Yeah. And that's just, that's sad. It would cover, if you did the whole season, it's, uh, let's see, 12,500. I think we came up with like, yeah. like $14,000, yeah. right? Yeah. You're still in poverty. Yeah. Still, it's $1,250 to win a national. Yeah. And XC1, you win, we'll, we'll say 13 rounds. So, uh, fifth, $15,250 or something like that. This is rough numbers off the top of my head. I didn't actually figure that out. I just, yeah. that that's close somewhere around there. Um, that's like what? That's like one motor for yeah. an XC one. guy. I don't know that so that would pay for your season. traveling expenses. Mm, no, probably not yeah. to be honest. <laughs> um, but, and again, like I said, I'm not complaining because obviously we, we know what we're getting into because right. it's racing. But it on the on the flip side of that, I'm not saying that we necessarily need paid more money. But like, even at the locals, it'd be nice if we could if we could make some money, right? But like I I've had people complain to me and they're like, well, you make at least you make some money. I run. B class and I don't make anything. And it's like, well, I didn't see you when I was working out at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah, and, uh, working on my bike in my spare time, trying to get here. I didn't see you there with me mm-hmm. and I don't know. What, I don't know what they're doing in their, their free time, obviously. Right. But I know what I do to get there and it ain't easy. Right. <laughs> so, um, it just feels nice sometimes if you, uh, if you get rewarded for the work that you put in. So that's, again, I'm not complaining about the, the money cause I do it for the fun, but at least if I could cover some of the, uh, the cost and not just me, but like the other guys that race with me, if we could cover some of the cost of at least getting to the race and getting back home and, and maybe, you know, put a couple parts on our bike. That would be great. Yeah. But it is it doesn't work that way. So again, I'm not complaining. I just think that if we want the sport to keep growing and keep getting more people or at least maintaining the, the people that we have, these are some things that we need to look at. And I know from a promoter standpoint, for me to go race, they don't make any money off of me. They're they're losing money at the end of the day for me to to show up and race. 
I paid my race fee. They pay all of our race fee back to us and they pay a little bit extra on top of that. So they're not even making money off of our gate fee. Um, so I understand that they lose some money off of us racing, but it's just part of the business, right? You make so much money off the other people that show up mm-hmm. that sometimes it's worth losing a little bit of money on something. But my big thing is, is not even the, the pro payouts, but if we could just incentivize some product giveaways or something for the people that are behind the pro class, that would be so awesome. Or like, like you said in the youth, I don't want to see any money brought into the youth race, but if they could get some products, win some tires or, you know, uh, win like some lubricants and, and stuff like that, like stuff that you have to pay for anyways. Right. That it's going to take race and you can win that stuff. That's still, they go home happy because they still want something. Right. right? So gives them something to work for something to help them out. And it didn't cost you anything anyways, because sponsors are going to, if, if you're a promoter and you go to a sponsor and say, I want to do this, how many of those sponsors do you think is actually going to say, nah, I don't want to give anything away to the youth guys. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much nobody, right? right? Like almost everybody would agree and say, you know what? I think it's a good idea if we give back to the youth racers. So more than me getting paid extra money to run pro class, I would rather see the other people be able to get something out of what what they come to do. So I'm fine with the pace thing where it's at and all of that stuff. If we can do more to help the other people is is my outlook on it. If we can find a way to do both, then that's great. But I would prefer to see everybody else be able to benefit. And, you know, if I have to lose money to race, that's part of it because I just love racing. But, um, you know, I want to I want to see everybody else be able to, to race for something and, and be able to get something in return for it. So mm-hmm. not trying to draw that out super long. But like I said, I, I just love racing. I love the sport. I want to see it grow. I want to see it keep going and. I think a good way to do that is to incentivize everybody that's behind us and give them something in return. So they're all there. They're all breaking stuff every week. They're all putting in work to, to be there. So I think that's a good way to, to pay it back. No, I, I agree with that. And, uh, so, so yeah, we were, uh, we were, ready to hang it up and then we went like another 45 minutes and like once again Devin I I really appreciate this and I I think this was a great podcast and we're definitely going to have you back on even you know maybe a couple times throughout the year just talking about you know how the races are going and and where we're at but the executive producer uh came down the steps and told me I need to wrap this up because it's a school night at least that's what I got by the hand motions. So fine. I'm gonna play it safe and go with that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. Sorry, wanna, I like to talk a lot. Oh, I do too. I could talk forever. We know. Um, so we're gonna work on your co-host. To me or you? I, he's referring to me. We're gonna work on his co-hosting <laughs> skills in the next week and a half. I would never be mean to you, Devin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I, well, I'm going to actually give him your number, Devin, so that he can, he can pester you and, and 
give you some of this. I would never. He would never do it. And, and the thing is, like, you'll say, hey, you know, let me know how you do in a race. Because Walker told him that. He's like, hey, you know, let me know how you do in a race. So after a race, I'm like, hey, did you text Walker and told him you win? No, I never did. I'm like, okay, whatever. So, but anyways, <laughs> we, uh, I'm just going to keep creating topics. We're going to keep going before you know it. We're going to be late for work in the morning. But anyways, (laughs) thanks for coming on, Devin. I'm glad I reached out, and I'm glad you answered. And like I said, we'll have you back on, and and we'll throughout the season, and we'll go from there. And we look forward to seeing you at the first New East Coast in about uh, 30 days. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said before, I I appreciate you reaching out. I think it's been a, a cool show. Um Again, at any point, if you would like me to come back on, don't hesitate to reach out. I'll, uh, I'll try to do what I can. Um, but I look forward to listening to more of the show, and uh, I think you guys got a good thing going. So thank you for letting me come on. Um, I'll let you guys go and uh, get ready for get ready for bed and school and work <laughs> tomorrow. But uh, I, I appreciate the time to uh, talk with you guys. All right, man. I thank you once again. I'll talk. I'll be talking to you soon. Yep, sounds good. You guys enjoy the rest of your night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Yep. All right, so, Devin Masters, we might... Is that the record? 227? No, I checked it already. Is Our it? record's with... Here, let me check again. It was with Walker, because it was, it was with, with Cole, Walker, and then it went back to Walker. Walker 2.0... Two hours, 52. Yeah. So um, we're going to make this short and sweet because we we use the bulk of our time talking about the media stuff. I thought that was a great podcast. I'm glad we reached out to Devin, and I thought it was a very insightful podcast. Uh, he talked about a lot of good stuff, and we'll definitely have him on throughout the year uh, to talk about how the season's going and, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. Um, we'll just kind of call it at that and, uh, like to thank our sponsors, custom access, Micah McDonald. We talked about him on the show. If you're in the, if you're in the market for a set of shocks, any shocks you owe to yourself to call Micah, see what custom access has for you. It might be out of your price point, but I'm telling you, you're only going to spend it once for whatever bike you're running and you're going to be more than happy with what you get. My turn. Go ahead. HMF, ODI, Liat, Nash, Lone Star, um, Renthal. Give me a second. Renthal. GBC. GBC, PGX. <laughs> GPS. Okay, stop. Stop. <laughs> GPS, uh, I swear, I swear. <laughs> um, Quad Tech, Quad Tech, New East Coast, Action, Action. Did you say Wrath? Wrath. Angle. Angle cooler keeps ice longer. I know one you're forgetting right off the bat. DP breaks. (laughs) 
And don't forget pro graphics. If you're still looking for your graphics kit, call them 15% off. When you mention the show, is that it? I believe that's it fast, fast, fast. Um, yeah, that's it. So we're going to wrap it up. We're going to, uh, call it a, call it a night. We're going to get to bed and we will, we have another good guest, uh, in line for the next show, which will probably be in, in two weeks. And, uh, we look forward to talking to you then. So in the meantime, Everybody, thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. I know it's a lot to ask for two and a half hours, but we appreciate it. Um, and until the next time, keep it all on all four wheels. Or three if you ride a three-wheeler. All right, guys. Talk to you later. We're out. Wait. What? I remember what the word was. What? Repetitively. Repetitively. Catch you next time, people. See you. Bye. Bye. This one, right? Yeah. That button.